I can't have three big things going on around the holidays. It's like Christmas and New Year's is enough. I don't need another. You don't need the end of the world, too, and it's just before all that. That's ridiculous. That's a... Exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, we Greg and I are unlike many people in the paranormal community. We have jobs. <laughs> I literally was just drove home from work like uh, 15 minutes ago. So I yeah, was sort of practicing. I have to drive to work, so that's how it's going. This may be the most haphazard year in review, folks, but in a way, it's perfect for the year that was 2012. But the funny thing was, and the report also says when the police got there, everybody was running away from the scene of whatever it was. Like, is that because they all were involved and they thought the cops would bust them? Did they all see something they didn't want to talk about? Were they really leprechauns there? What the hell's going You know, the, the story is frustratingly inconclusive about what's going on. It may not be experiencing something. It's interacting with something. So it's a co-creation of whatever you think it should be or your genetics or your upbringing or whatever things it should be and what your brain is experiencing and you're, you trying to make sense of it. Hmm. And if that's heaven, then it's heaven. Okay, that's interesting. You're scaring the crap out of me here in a lot of ways, but, <laughs> you know, that's interesting. And now. Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com, with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Happy New Year, my friends. Welcome to 2013. Goodbye and good riddance to 2012. It is time once again for our annual Year in Review special featuring longtime friend of the program, Greg Bishop. This year, it is a nearly live edition of the show. We wanted to do a live program, but could not fit it into our busy schedules. Literally, Greg and I both only had one two-hour window on a Thursday afternoon to tape the show so we really had to shoehorn this one in between our respective jobs. And over the course of this very organic conversation, we discuss a wealth of big and small stories from 2012, including the end of the Mayan calendar, the passing of Philip Coppins and Jim Mosley, the Baltic Sea UFO, the UFO revelations from Russia's Dmitry Medvedev, the National Atomic Testing Museum's Area 51 Symposium, the Melba Ketchum Bigfoot DNA Story, Superstorm Sandy, the Neurosurgeon NDE, Leprechaun and Goblin Attacks in 2012, and Greg's reveal of the identity of notorious UFO figure The Falcon. Along the way, we'll also discuss the state of UFO research in general, what we'd like to see change as far as ufology goes, and what may be coming on the horizon for a variety of paranormal genres. Altogether, it is an incredibly loose conversation where we recount some of the highlights, lowlights, and oddball moments of the past 12 months, 
bidding farewell to 2012 with the always entertaining Greg Bishop. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Greg Bishop, please allow me to provide you with a little background on him. Greg Bishop became interested in UFOs at a very early age. He has no idea why. In 1991, he co-founded a magazine entitled The Excluded Middle for the purpose of educating himself first, and secondly, passing on the new info to interested readers. How selfish. TEM was a journal of UFOs, conspiracy research, psychedelia, and new science. Now online at excludedmiddle.com. Wake Up Down There, a collection of articles from the magazine, was published in the year 2000. Greg's writing has appeared in the LA Weekly, Fortean Times, UFO Magazine, and Magical Blend, among others, and in the book-length anthologies Conspiracy and Cyberculture, Zen and the Art of Close Encounters, Kooks, and You Are Being Lied To. His book Project Beta, published in 2005, was an attempt to set the record straight on the Paul Benowitz Disinfo Saga. His third and newest title, Weird California, was published in March of 2006. His podcast, Radio Mysterioso, can be heard on Sundays from 8 to 10 p.m. Pacific Time at killradio.org. Interviews with fringe topic researchers and weird music are the usual fare. When not writing, Greg can be found in the southwestern deserts of the United States or flying his paraglider above vertiginous cliffs and mountains sometimes with a propeller strapped to his back. Successful bribes include New Mexican cuisine, recordings of outsider music, rare contactee books, tickets to baseball games, and selected original artwork. His website is www.radiomysterioso.com. Pretty simple, all one word. Radio Mysterioso, spelled M-I-S-T-E-R-I-O-S-O. Dot com. Check it out. And with all that said, my friends, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on January 3rd, 2013. Greg Bishop helps us close the book on 2012 and welcome in 2013 on BOA Audio Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another annual tradition here on BOA Audio it is the time where we put the past year to bed, look back on uh, some of the more ridiculous and uh, noteworthy stories of the year, and uh, look ahead to the new year, sort of uh, our, our crossing of the equator of time, if you will. And as always, our guest is the man behind Radio Mysterioso. He's also the author of the outstanding book, Project Beta. If you have not read this one yet, folks, you have to go out and get your hands on it. It is fantastic. And uh, he is padding his record here for most appearances ever on But All of America. I'm talking about, of course, our good friend Greg Bishop. Welcome back to the show, Greg. You have such a professional announcing style. I wish I could do that. <laughs> well, I practice. I, I like literally just, Greg and I are unlike many people in the paranormal community. We have jobs. <laughs> I literally was just drove home from work like uh, 15 minutes ago, so yeah, I was sort of practicing. Yeah, I have to drive to work, so that's how it's going. Yeah, we've shoehorned this in between uh, our respective jobs, and this may be the most haphazard year in review, folks, but in a way, it's perfect for, for the year that was 2012. I mean, this was the year that everybody 
had their panties in a bunch over, and now it's come and gone, you know, with a whole bunch of food for all and, and, and not much to it. Well, that seems to happen. I called in the Don Ecker's show. He had an end-of-the-world show on uh, December, what was it, 21st or whatever it was? You've already forgotten. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, December 21st. I didn't remember beforehand. But he was having an end-of-the-world show, and somebody emailed me or messaged me on Facebook, I think some guy that's either a fan or his producer or something, and said, you know, call into the show. I was at work, and I called in, and they said, you know, you think the world's going to end? And I said, no. And they said, why not? And I said, how come How come every other prediction never came true? And this one is going to come true. I just, I highly doubt it. And then I got shut out of the conversation after that because – I didn't say anything really exciting, and everybody was talking at once, and and I didn't I didn't follow the first uh, uh, command of radio interview or radio guesting actually, which is to be as rude as possible and interrupt as much as possible because mm-hmm. otherwise you never get a word in. Exactly, yeah. And I'm I'm not saying that it's like it's it's a dickish move or anything like that. It's just the way that when you have like a two or three whatever people on the radio at the same time. You have to just basically step on other people to get your word in. Otherwise, you won't. So. The same thing happened to me on Sunday when I called in a radio mysterioso. So don't feel don't feel bad. I, after five minutes, I'm like, I, I why did I call in? I should have just kept listening. I really don't. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. I just wanted to wish them happy. I'm glad New you year. called in. <laughs> we're checking in for the last show of the year, and you know, Adam actually asked. He said, "People call up and call up and bust our chops." That's why I did it. Yeah. So I don't. I mean, yeah, 2012. I mean. In a way, I was really worried about not the world ending, but the paranormal community looking really shitty coming out of it. But somehow I feel like we did, we kind of made it through this without being, without any further damage to the reputation of people interested in this. So I guess that's a good thing. Well, the reputation of people interested in this remains exactly the same with people that are into it, exactly the same with people that aren't. Right, right. But I mean, I mean you know, I figured we'd all be laughed at, but it, luckily it only lasted, you know, a little bit. Yeah, it has, I think it happens that way every single time. Everybody didn't think that, well, most people didn't think that anything like Bigfoot existed. And after the Bigfoot hoax a couple of years ago, I can't remember the guy's name involved with that. Oh, the Biscardi. The, uh, the, the, Biscardi. Huh? Biscardi. Yeah, yeah, Tim Biscardi, the guy uh, with the frozen Bigfoot uh, fur and mask in the freezer and all that. Everybody thought, oh, no, nobody's going to take it seriously. It's like, nobody took it seriously before. Right. But what what difference does it make? Something, you know, you can, all the scandals and this and that and people in the community, they get so worried about their reputation, they they shouldn't because nobody cares. What they, when, they, when they will care is when something unequivocal that makes the Bigfoot com- research community or UFO community irrelevant happens. Well, it was when it- that happens, then they won't have to worry about it and nobody will listen to them anymore. I thought it was interesting that, uh, although I won't, I don't think it will in either case. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was interesting that, you know, uh, not only is 2012 the cottage industry now gone, which is great, obviously, um, <laughs> yeah. but I, our mutual friend Ken Thomas made a really interesting point that this, this was probably the last gasp of relevancy for the Mayan people. So if anything, their world ended. Yeah. You know, because no one's ever going to really talk about the Mayan. They're not going to be like on mainstream news ever again, probably. So, no, not any more than they used to be. Right. You know, somebody uncovers a huge new lost city or something. No. Well, that that was kind of ironic in a way. It was like the 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 Mayan calendar ended, and the relevancy of the Mayans 
ended with it. That was they the only. That, yeah, he's right. That was that was the uh, that was the doomsday prediction that nobody would care about them anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, that came true. But I, I thought, you know, that thankfully, like I said, the media didn't pick on us too much, and and I I, I thought they were kind of begrudgingly giving it some time of day, if you will. You know, they were like, well. These people do kind of think the world's going to end, so let's cover it a little bit because clearly, well, you know. Uh, you know, it's good news on a slow day. I guess so, yeah. I don't know <laughs> about you, but it kind of blew kind of, kind of blew a hole in my holiday season, though. I can't have three big things going on around the holidays. It's like Christmas and New Year's is enough. I don't need another. You don't need the end of the world, too, and it's just before all that. That's ridiculous. That's a, exactly. Yeah, and then. Yeah, we had that, and then uh, I have to go visit my my parents on New Year's. It's a tradition, so I had to I had to go there twice too. And, and before that, call in Don's. Shit. This isn't making any sense. You can cut this part out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah, it was it was very busy and kind of headache inducing. Yeah, yeah, a little bit annoying. And, you know. I, yeah, I don't think there's any need to cut it out because I think other people must feel the same way. It just it just it was a huge monkey wrench in the middle of the holiday season that really I didn't need. Yeah, did you did you notice that there's a um a lot of people that saying that 2012 sucked the year? Yeah, I didn't really for me it did as, as a as a news year with with shootings and deaths and all that. Yeah, it kind of did suck. Yeah. Yeah, it was a shitty year like you know, it was a shitty year I guess for the for the human race maybe or the American yeah. race. I mean, it's bad it's ba- it's bad when you have two Gruesome mass shootings in one yeah. year, especially that last one. That was just heartbreaking. Yeah. You know? Again, it's like another thing that kind of just blew up the holidays. No pun intended. Yeah. Obviously, it, it was just, you know, who needs, who needs, who needs that? It's a huge downer, man. Yeah, it reminded me of those Chechen rebels taking that theater hostage around Christmas a few years ago. But I, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've seen it said that the year was sort of meh. Like literally that was the description. Sort of a meh. A blah year. I mean, I don't know. I, it was a well, good, personally was. for me, it was I, a mediocre year. I, you know, it was not too I bad. I had a fairly decent year, yeah. but the rest of the world didn't. As opposed to um, 2001, I saw a t-shirt at the end of 2001 that said 2001 sucked. <laughs> and I, I, everybody felt that way, not the least because of um, 9-11. 9-11, but all kinds of other shit. It was just kind of like the end of a sort of a shitty not so great year, and that just made it worse. And every, everybody felt like crap all the way through the holiday season. Um, it was a horrible tragedy, and yeah, it really did suck. To to me, that was a sucky year for everybody involved. Right. Uh, this last year just seemed like kind of sucky as uh, as a ramp up of tragedies. And then at the end of the year, I don't know what the hell was going on. Everybody felt like they had to die in the last two or three weeks of the year. There's a lot of death at the end of the year. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Yeah, like what Jack Klugman and who the hell else? Um, Patty Page just died, I think, two days ago. There was another actor who died on Christmas Eve. I forget his name now. Uh, an accomplished character actor, and of um, course, Phil Coppins died uh, right right before the New Year. Phil so. Coppins. That was another one. I was like, but that, that it wasn't out of left field because he was sick. But, right. But still, you know, I never met the guy. Wish I had. And um, Nick wrote a wrote up a nice little thing for him. Um, yeah, that was a really tough one because I never met him either, and I never really even spoke with him. But he touched a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I hate to jump right into the in memoriam part, but we're doing this organically, so yeah, yeah, it works. Yeah. But and, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a it was reminded me a lot of the 
of the uh, of Mac Tony's passing because Mac was such an online presence and Phil was an online presence in a big way. You know, it was like it was you, you kind of can see the you know that he's part of this online community in a big way. Yeah, you really could see it. Like on on Facebook was just you know everybody was really broken up about it. And as I yeah. said, I mean he seemed to have done some really good work. I didn't really. I'm kind of glad yeah. I didn't know him that well because I'd have been even more bummed out. Um, the one thing that did bum me out is I was out of the country and uh, like a week before I came back, Jim Mosley died. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because that's another guy that I never got around to really. I've read some of his stuff, uh, yeah. but I never really got as as into him as a lot of people who've been in the field for a much longer time. Seems like he was such a prominent player in the in the zine sort of. He was still doing the zine thing. Even you know, with his other. The last issue was um, Gorilla put up online by Tim Brigham and I think a couple other people, Um, and it's around if you look it up. I was going to link to it. I haven't done that yet. I haven't even done a Jim Mosley like memorial show, but I'm going to have Tim Brigham on, who was a friend of Jim Mosley's for like I think 20, 30 years since he was like a teenager. Um, I met Jim Mosley in the 90s, like 94. Five or four, something like that. Kind of late on in the Jim Mosley story, but I interviewed him for Excluded Biddle, and I, he'd never met me. I just exchanged a couple letters with him. I brought along a pair of Groucho glasses, and after the interview, he agreed to put them on so I could take a picture <laughs> of Groucho glasses on. And um, he read to me that uh, uh, UFO is a bucket of shit. Uh, poem, which has since been reposted and re, uh, reprinted so many places. And um, after that, I, I saved every, and I really like, truly like Jim. He's a good person, always really supportive to people that I'm supportive of. Um, didn't really, you know, he wouldn't really stand for any BS, but he wouldn't do it in a nasty way. He just kind of, he was kind of a trickster. Right, right. I like this stuff a lot like that. Right up my yeah. alley, you know. Yeah. So I, I got along real well with Jim, and I have I think over the years he wrote me something like 30 or 40 different letters, and I saved every single one of them. So I was going to write something up based on all the letters he'd sent me. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's too bad. It's, it's, it's spooky in a way it's this it seems like every year there's some titan that that passes away whether it's bud hopkins or john keel or you know or mac who was well on his way to being a titan and just it seems like every year we we lose you know a couple of really like critical players so it's it's disappointing obviously that's life though i mean you know it's you can't i'm I'm, I'm nowhere near any kind of critical player anymore so my life is is safe We put it that way, yeah. That's that's a good. Well, you uh, know what? Every time you hear some, this is a George Carlin joke. Every time somebody dies, you're like sitting, and I don't do this really, but I, yeah, well, maybe I do. You're you sit there and try and subtract the number of years you've got between your age and their age. <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever. You're like, hmm, how long have I got? Now does that average out? It's like it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with lifestyle and happiness and health choices and genetics and all that stuff. Yeah, and then luck. You know, you never know. You get hit by a bus. Look like what happened to uh, John Mack, you know? Yeah, just stepping off a curb in, the, in, in, in England in the middle of the night. Right. So. Probably, you know, the guy was drunk, and then probably also Mac was looking the wrong direction because it's England. I heard it happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, I I was in England 
when I was uh, right after high school, I was with this girl, and I had to grab her off out of the street, and she almost got hit by a car. Weird. Oh, they, they do everything backwards there. They're, they're going to have to change everything so they're not hitting so many people from out of the country. Yeah, stop hitting so many Americans. <laughs> yeah, nailing so many Americans with their wacky traffic. Uh, uh, I don't know. What other countries drive on the left side of the road? I don't know. I was going to ask if Canada does, but I don't think so. No, it doesn't. I think maybe Australia does, and like well, maybe one of like Singapore or something. I don't, other than that, I'm not sure. Oh, weird. So, yeah, so we, we lost uh, Jim Mosley and Phil Coppin, so, you know, thanks to them for their contributions. It's uh, it's a sad, you know, sad loss. As. And they're not going to revive Saucer Smear, which I actually think is a good idea. Yeah, it was really his own sort of vision. I can't imagine, you know, if, if it, it's what, I could see someone sort of doing something in that vein, but let it go with him. Yeah, but don't call it Saucer Smear. Right, right. Because I, I was, Tim Brigham called in the show um, after you, and he he said um, he actually said that, and this was the first I'd heard because I thought they were planning on. He's like, because before he died, he was saying, well, you know, a couple of years ago, there's a succession of editors now in case I'm not around that will keep it going. And after he died, they just said, oh, screw it, we can't have this without Mosley. It just isn't right. smear, so forget it. Wow. And they're right. Yeah, exactly. I will not carry on Radio Mysterioso if anything happens to you. Don't worry. Oh, thanks. I won't allow it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, aside from the, uh, you know, and a thousand apologies, of course, if we missed anybody uh, who passed away. Those were the two big names that, that came to mind uh, when I was putting these notes together. So, I'm sure there's others. I was trying others. to more, and, and if, if I haven't, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I was saying, too. But mostly, it affected me personally, and Coppins affected a lot of people I knew personally. So, that those are the ones that come to mind, really. Right, right. And then, you know, traditionally, this is sort of our UFO roundup, but it's like, you know, where, and every year the UFO, it gets progressively darker as far as between <laughs> the both the of us. Light bulb that's getting less and less energy put into it, and you can see it just starting to dim and dim and dim. Right. And I don't right. know what that is. I'm, I am hoping, I'm really hoping that means that MUFON and KUFOs and all those places just fall in fall into disrepair and, and break splinter into a thousand groups. That would be wonderful. I think so, yeah. I mean I I, I, I hate them but because I right. think it's they're irrelevant now because they're the 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 fact of having a, a centralized repository for not information but more like dogma a, a central dogma I think that's exactly what the UFO problem wants is just Central dogmas controlling what, not controlling, but you know, basically stifling any creative thought on it because that that just means it'll it won't be figured out because the UFO phenomenon is far more creative than the than most of the people that study it. I think. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was a year full of what you like to call, which I I just cannot thank you enough for this fantastic term, UFO porn. I mean, there was lots, <laughs> there was lots of UFO porn. I mean, just just. Oh, just a wealth of UFO porn, like the kind you expect in, uh, between the mattress of a teenage boy, like that much UFO porn. Yeah, I uh, I just for the first time saw that South Korean one um, the last couple of days, the one with the that white thing that kind of goes along with the plane and then shoots up. Okay, I didn't see that, but I did see one about a UFO that flew into a volcano. 
So I've heard about that, but yeah. I didn't see it. And then they're all once again here's some indistinct blobs flying around in front of video cameras. Right, right. Did I don't have the only impressive video I've ever seen, and I'm pretty sure it's not fake. Was just one shot in Vegas in the '80s, just pointing north towards Nellis Air Force Base. And the people have probably some people have probably seen it. I can't find it now. It's a picture of some little mountain north of Vegas, and these little lights or something flying over this mountain, just over the top of it. And they look, they've got that classic falling leaf insect motion. Ah. They're all, they're all flitting around, going up in the air, doing all these things that, that, uh, airplanes, birds, insects, none of those things do. They didn't move like any of those things. Yeah. And then they would float down like a leaf falling, like back and forth, that floating, falling leaf motion. And then they'd kind of regroup themselves and shoot back up in the air again. Oh, weird. Yeah, you got to find that. It's one of the weirdest video. things I've ever seen, and that that one affected me as you know. That if I don't know what genuine means, but it was a genuine unknown to me. I couldn't figure out what it was. Now, did you look at the? Have you? You must have heard about the Baltic Sea UFO. That was that was kind of one of the bigger stories. Uh, some some kind of uh, underwater uh, anomaly that was found. Um, underwater? Did anything come out of that besides they went down and like used a sledgehammer to knock off pieces of it? I, from what I see here in my top 10 list, uh, from Huffington Post, no. So there's been no positive identification of what's become known as the Baltic Sea UFO. And it was, it was made out of stone on a, it's like, so it's, it's not a, it's not a rock UFO. It's just this strange anomalous round rock thing at the 300 feet underneath the ocean. Right, right. It's interesting. I mean, at least it, it's unique in the sense that you usually don't see sort of uh, these ideas of downed craft underwater. You would think that that would be something you'd see more often, but yeah. considering how huge the ocean is and all that. But, you know, again, it's it's like, what can we do with that? I don't know. And the other thing is I think somebody said they saw soot on some of the rocks as if there had been fires burning in them or under them or something. So maybe it's some ritualistic um, complex that got submerged, like an Atlantean type of thing. Like that thing they found off the coast of Scotland. Was it called Doggerland, they're calling it? It's um, some civilization they found underwater off the north coast of Scotland, um, northeast coast. And it's got, um, they found like apparently grave, grave areas, uh, burial areas, signs, lots of signs of civilization over kind of a wide area that was progressively flooded between, I think, like 18,000 and 5,000 B.C. Oh, wow. Um, and it's just another one of those, you know, quote-unquote Atlantean-type areas that are being found under the ocean, you know, all the time. Interesting. Interesting. I like the name, Doggerland. It sounds like sounds like something from, sounds like some children's uh, TV special. Doggerland, where all the doggies go. <laughs> That's just the, that's the name of it, and that I saw a report on that. I think linked off that Huffington thing, or somewhere during the year, I saw something on it. But I haven't heard anything about that recently either. I just thought I think it's fascinating if you read some of these like ancient civilization books and stuff that I and you and every, almost everybody listening has been reading. You suddenly, you suddenly, you eventually come to the idea that. There have been other civilizations on Earth, possibly many of them, over and over again. I, I don't seriously doubt that at all. I think most people listening don't either. Yeah, that seems pretty. It seems to make sense. And advance to a you know advance to a state where you you know we would call them advanced, but 
not advanced in the technologically in the way we are, but more advanced maybe in tune with the planet or right. the nature of the planet or the nature of uh, uh, the physical features of it or something like that. I don't know how to put it any better than that. Right, right. Well, there's this, this sort of idea, too, of the of the sort of a, a, a global society that we still haven't really wrapped our mind around, a historical global society. Yeah, and maybe more than one. Hmm. Like, you know, this thing rose for a billion years and then was wiped out, and we don't, you know, there's no way we're going to find any evidence of it. And then the last one that was around, maybe we find little bits and pieces of it here and there. Right, right. It's entirely possible that's where the UFOs come from. They they left and they come back and they're like, no, we were here like a million, you know, billions of years ago before you guys even came around. So. Yeah, I think I mentioned this on your show before, but I, there was this Alan Watts lecture that I always go back to, if you know who he is. Yeah. Um, he's he said uh, he said maybe the natural order of things is that rocks eventually turn into people. Interesting. You know, aliens yeah. come around and they're, they're like, well, there's nothing here but rocks. And then they come back like three billion years later and they say, wait, there's there's people moving around. And yeah. they go to another planet and the same thing happens. So maybe that's the natural progression of rocks. Interesting. Is that they eventually turn into something that has consciousness. And if you want to, if you want to ascribe some intelligent design or, you know, divine inspiration or being to that, go right ahead and do it. But, um, Maybe that's the maybe that's the natural anti-entropic uh, state of of matter in in some cases to become aware of itself by living. Interesting. I never even heard of that idea, but it's you know. That's a, that's been sticking with me for a long time. Ever since I heard him make that statement, I was like, well, if you want to assign a, a physical, I mean, a, a, a non non-physical human uh, humanoid being to that that process that's that's fine but maybe i won't take it any further than that yeah well if you you know that goes back to the whole biblical concept of uh breathing life into clay and all that yeah so it could exactly be, you know. maybe that's another form of that it's just it's just it's like a ufo thing or anything like that that's slightly unknown to people it's it's brought down to the human level so people can understand it and then at a certain point people stop thinking of it, you know, stop realizing it's a metaphor and they think it actually happened. I think it's more like a metaphor. Hmm. Now, what did you think of, uh, I'm looking at, at just the, I only put down like four UFO stories that even sort of got onto my radar. I don't know if you had any, but th th this uh, Russian vice president. Too, but there are hardly any because, you know, we, we've talked about this. Yeah. People have gotten mad about it, too. Are we finally bored with UFOs? You guys are such assholes. Why do you, why do you say you're bored with UFOs? Okay, tell us why we should be excited. Go ahead. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, here we are, the end of 2012. It's 2013 now. It just started. And, uh, you know, there was no signature case that even came out of the year. So we got another year in the books without a signature case. Not that I can think of, no. You know? If, didn't, some, didn't you or somebody tell me that Stan Friedman said this year's MUFON was uninspiring or something like that? Something along those lines. I don't want to... I can't directly quote him off the top of my head, but he he, he was not particularly thrilled. Maybe it wasn't Stan, but I, I believe whoever said that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he mentioned it was Stan. He mentioned it on the Christmas show, so he okay. said something along the lines of uh, that. I think he I think something that it could have been done better or something. So I'm not sure what's going on with Mufon, but but there wasn't any signature case, even though there's allegedly hundreds of UFO sightings all the time. I hope it's devolving into uh, splinter groups. I really do. 
I think it's just, yeah, probably. There's just no need really for, I mean, I just don't see the need for a UFO group per se anymore. Yeah. You know, somebody like Jeffrey Gonzalez from the, from the, from Central California, the Bigfoot guy should lead a little group and Micah Hanks should lead a little group and, um, Albert Rosales should lead a little group and, uh, um, Rosemary, Rosemary Ellen Guiley should re- lead a little group and these groups should all have their own little agendas and communicate with each other and see what comes out of it. What, if, you know, the more democratization, the more chance we have for creativity and ideas, I think. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I can't speak too much to move on, but based on my scant, uh, sort of, uh, dealings with people in that group, it's like, it just feels really too political. And to, you know, it feels like everyone's sort of always, everyone's sort of angling to move up the, the proverbial yeah. ladder of MUFON, where it's like, okay, now I, you know, I want to be a, I want to be an investigator or whatever. Okay, so I'm going to take the test and everything, but I really want to be the state section director. And then it's like, you know, I'm sure amongst all the state section directors, it's like, they're all sort of angling to see who can be the next, uh, director of MUFON. You know what I mean? It's like, everybody sort of just wants to get some kind of, Wow, do they even really get about the phenomenon itself? I don't know. I think at some point it does become that, yeah. I think at some point it's like, it's like the phenomenon becomes secondary to whether or not you're gonna, you know, get to be treasurer or move on. It's yeah. like states, like student council. It's, it's, I mean, that, that's <laughs> yeah. just the dealings that I've had with people. I'm not putting down the people of MUFON per se. No, I'm just, no. I am tired of the organization. Of MUFON or KUFOs or British UFO. I think Bufora went out of business. I think it did, yeah. I'm not sure about it. But I think it did. They stopped publishing Flying Saucer a while ago. Probably one of the best journals of any UFO group ever, except for the IFSB that Albert Bender ran. If you ever see any of his old newsletters, those are wonderful. Well, it's a, it's a whole different area. I mean, you don't really need even... It's. It, I think ufology... The organizational aspect of ufology has had a hard time transitioning to the internet age. It has, and it should, I think it should embrace it completely, and it, and it involves becoming ever more splintered, democratic, and horizontal, rather than, you know, uh, vertical, leader-driven, and, and centralized. Right. Now, did you see, this may have been the end of last year, but I think it was this year, uh, well, now, now last year, uh, 2012, could have been the end of 2011, but they, you know, the, the the head of MUFON went on The Daily Show, and they completely savaged him and lampooned him and, and really just destroyed him. He, the former head, he's no longer the head of MUFON anymore. But yeah, it was, I, it, it was I, embarrassing. I think I heard about that. It was oh, I can't remember who it was. It just... Um... I think the big thing was like that, that the host tore him apart, right? Not they didn't have somebody on with him, did they? No, no, no. They had like someone interviewing him and and sort of leading him in by asking him ridiculous oh, yeah, questions. Yeah. And like the, the yeah. gist of it was that China's got the leg up on UFO sightings against us, and it was like, oh, now we got to worry about Ch- China's taking all the UFOs now too. <laughs> God, I wish they interviewed me. I would have said fine. They're not going to figure out anything either. <laughs> Um, now, speaking of international not, stuff... You're allowing us to make fun of you, so this isn't going to be aired. What's that? If if I was on with that show, uh, I don't know why the person was so clueless as to what kind of show it was. I think they like any publicity is good publicity. I don't know what... Yeah, I don't well, get... that's what, what kook organizations are like. Exactly. Well, 
Hey, it's a shoe fit. Everybody's complaining about the Westboro Baptist Church. Ignore them. You know? Exactly. Those people want attention so bad. Any group with an incredibly strong agenda and not really any check on a reality check, they they don't. You're, you're exactly right. They're, the, the publicity is more important than being laughed at, or the chance at being, of being laughed at. Now, to get it back on sort of uh, talking about some of this stuff that did happen in 2012, what about this, uh, what about the Russian vice president story? You must have heard about that one. Dmitry Medvedev, Medvedev he said uh, sort of off the, off the record, off the cuff, said something like uh, that he, that if he became president, they would brief him on UFOs and uh, suggested that people check out some, not the Men in Black movies, but some real UFO documentary about Men in Black. And there was, you know, some debate over whether he was joking or whether he was serious, and a lot of people, you know, went a little crazy about it and got excited. But about it. what's that? I didn't. I didn't. I heard about it, and then I kind of dropped it. Although that, that Men in Black aspect, was he ever involved with the KGB? Maybe. Yeah, he's Putin's number two, so I assume he must have had yeah. some connection. And nobody wants to be number two because we all know what that is. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, if he was with the KGB, then I would totally expect him to say something like that. Yeah. Um, it just it just reminds you, and I realize this every day practically that there's oh, and people sh- probably most people realize this after they get a little bit further along in you know their experience of media and all that is that there's the story is never what you hear that's like maybe whatever you hear publicly is probably somewhere between five and ten percent of what the hell happened so what do you mean by that with what regards to this he knows or you know if the guys my, my suggestion is that with with this guy the russian guy who's mendelev whatever his name is yeah Med, medvedev medvedev <laughs> um sounds like english backwards that's why russians and americans never got along um my suggestion by saying this in a roundabout way is that I think the reason he says something like that is, one, so that he doesn't have to come right out and say what he thinks. Two, so that the right people listening know what he's talking about. Yeah. And three, I mean, if, if, uh, if, if you're, if you take some of his hints in the right way, you can find out a little bit of what he's talking about because he can't say it directly. Right, right. Or the fourth possibility, he's just nuts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I don't think he's totally nuts. I think you know it's a, yeah. He's he's probably teasing some thing. stuff out. But I was um, standing. I was about to leave my flying lessons the other day, and my instructor and another instructor were sitting there. I, I for some reason I just turned to them and I said, "Hey, you guys remember that drone that the supposedly I I ran like took over the software on it or something and 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 took over control of it and landed and captured this American spy drone." Yeah. And I said, what do you guys think of the, of the possibility that maybe that was planned? And they said, we hadn't really thought of that. Cause I was thinking about it. It's like, what, you know, it, they could have captured it, but it sounds so stupid. We took over the, the, uh, we took over the programming and got it. You know how hard it would be to do that? I, I think the, uh, United States, and the other thing is, Remember, um, Obama said, could you please give that plane back? And they said, are you kidding? No way. Yeah, exactly. That was the end of it. That was the whole news story. Right. You know, if it was that important, I think the United States would have just come in and, like, (laughs) grabbed it or blown up the place they were storing it or something. Right, right. But it never 
heard about it. But I, so the, the fact that it's in the news and that the reaction of the United States government was, please give it back, no, we're not going to, oh, okay. I have a feeling if that thing was was sort of accidentally on purpose uh, landed somewhere and the Iraqis were, I mean, I'm sorry, the Iranians were made to think that they had done that or that's the story they came out with. Now, in your in that yes, in there to make them think that there's something going, you know, to lead them down a whole bunch of dark, uh, I mean, erroneous, you know, uh, trails of erroneous information. Right, right, big fat decoy. Interesting, interesting. That's my thought because you in in World War II, there's a story in the book um, Bodyguard of Lies, whereby the the Allies put together this incredibly intricate device, but it didn't do anything. Hmm. And they left a few of them on the beach, like in Denmark or something like that, and let the Nazis find it. So they just wasted a bunch of time trying to figure out what it was, and it didn't do anything. Interesting. They just wanted them to waste all their resources trying to figure it out. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's possible then. You know, and who knows, maybe the thing has viruses in it that will infect their software there. Who knows? Or it's got surveillance in it to take pictures of whatever the Iranians are doing. I don't know. But that's a fantasy I had the other day, and I said, well, what do you think of that? And they said, we hadn't thought of that. Well, I I mean, I've been accused on this show of being ethnocentric uh, and and xenophobic, I guess, uh, which I'm not, but, but... When it comes to these stories, I mean, if the Russian vice president's saying something like that, that I don't even think that even really made a dent in the news here. It's well, like, it, it's not it, me, it's the Americans that are xenophobic yeah. and ethnocentric. So it's like nothing, no big UFO revelation, unless it's a straight out-and-out UFOs are real situation. I can't imagine it's even going to get any further in America. No, it doesn't. I mean, that, and maybe that's the other thing. Maybe he put a, maybe the guy put a UFO spin on it just to alert certain people to something he was saying publicly. Yeah, I don't, it's very I, odd. I, like I said, there's that's. I think that's what the Serpo thing was too. It was a bunch of messages being passed back and forth under the guise of being reports about some planet called Serpo. That's another one you never hear anything about anymore. No, you don't, because it never really amounted to anything. And I think it was somebody's aborted attempt to, you know create some some kind of buzz on some story but then also had the the uh added whatever ancillary um bonus effect of being able to pass messages about certain things back and forth through uh through public channels to certain people i guess i mean that that's that's what i heard and that's my model of it somebody called into don ecker's show and they said they thought i was going to say that uh, 2012 was a big um uh Intelligence ploy by 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 all all of Bill Moore's friends. I don't know where that. Came. <laughs> it's probably because, but I think that everything's an intelligence operation. <laughs> well, you may you know you're probably more right than than you are wrong, and all of that then because well, I, I think so. Dramatic about it. I just, right. I, I think it's interesting. Um, the uh, well, a lot of people just don't consider it. I think a lot of people don't. They don't want to. You know. I was talking, yeah, I was talking to a defense-related person the other day, who, that's as far as I'll go, and he said, we were talking about the Baumgartner, if you want to talk about the 2012, about the guy that jumped from the balloon. Yeah. Felix Baumgartner, and he says, well, the defense industry is involved in that, I'm pretty sure. I said, why? It's just Red Bull. And he said, no, there's a lot of data coming from that thing that would be really helpful to a lot of defense contractors. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of these things you see, like the Virgin, 
Virgin Air, uh, space plane stuff and all that have, have, have defense contractors kind of with their fingers in it, you know, money wise and information wise and all that because it's, they can get, you know, if they throw some money and some expertise at it, they can get some, they get some cheap information back that they didn't have to, you know, spend money on themselves. Well, in the big picture of things too, it's like, Looking at, like I said, I mean, there's all this UFO porn from the last year, and it's it feels like, I mean, I've talked about the stagnation of ufology on the show a lot and with people on the program and everything, and to take that sort of idea one step further, when you look at the big stories of the year, you get this sense of, like, desperation coming from the UFO research community and UFO fans, if you will. I don't want to call them or whatever people, I forget what the derivative, derogatory term for UFO. For UFO enthusiasts? Yeah, yeah, the buffs. Um, I'm one. <laughs> but the, the, I get a sense almost of desperation, where it's like anything that that is UFO related, it's like they just jump on it and they're like, just sort of just drive it into the ground of, you know, that this is important. And because nothing really of of solid use is is coming out, nothing you know. There's no like I said, there was no signature case. There was no really big breakthrough. I mean, we didn't have some whistleblower, you know, like Jimmy Carter didn't come out and say, you know, that that UFO that he was you know stonewalled about UFOs or anything like that. So we we, we, we had a few. I mean, there was oh god, what was um, Chase Brandon, the CIA guy? Yeah, I have that in the notes. Yeah. Uh, said that he saw something about Roswell in in in, in a drawer in a, in a file at the CIA. And there was that other guy, French Richard French or something like that. Yeah, he said that he'd seen a oh they he had uh, he was in the Air Force and or Air, Army Air Force and then the Air Force after World War II and that he he had heard that the there were two crashes and they were brought down by magnetic pulse weapons. Um, uh, they had that. Oh, there was that um, conference in Nevada at the Atomic Test Museum. I yeah, think. that was that was interesting that they would even have that. That was probably the 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 only really you know interesting part. It's like why would they be doing that? I'm not exactly sure why they did it. Although they had people on there that you don't. It's like this is. I read a story about it. and It's like this is an international who's who of UFO researchers. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was a it was a United States who's who of people you never hear from. That's what was interesting. Do you ever hear from Colonel Robert Friend? No. He ran Blue Book for a while, was communicating with uh, J. Allen Hynek. Um, I think Bob Emenegger talked about that guy on my show. I think he's friends with him, actually, um, when he was doing his documentary, UFOs Past, Present, and Future, in the, in the I think, was it late 70s? Um, that guy spoke there, and... Um, Robert Friend, Bill Coleman, who's another person that's involved in kind of back-channel UFO information. Um, check out Grant Cameron's site. He has a lot on these guys. Yeah. And Alexander was there, you know, um, providing some sort of support. And uh, and then Nick Pope, for some strange reason. Not that I, I like Nick, and he's a smart guy, and I think he is... Probably to add to the, interna- right? the international... I don't know why they had him at a thing... At the Atomic Test Museum near Area 51 in Las Vegas, that seemed kind of weird. But I wasn't there, and I didn't hear what he talked about. So I, I really wanted to go to that thing when I heard about it. I just couldn't. One of the few things I actually did want to go to because those guys, you never hear from them. Right, right. Like John Alexander a bit, but not you know Bill Coleman and and Robert Friend and 
And uh, Charles Hall, too, actually, the Bentwaters yeah. guy. Who put that together? Just someone in, in that so someone organization? Someone at that museum, I think. Uh, there may be more, a lot more of the backstory than, than I know. Yeah, see, that would be but, interesting, the backstory of why funny. and how they, you know, how they came to the to determine these names, if you will. Yeah, I, I've got this weird suspicion that uh, Alexander, they got a hold of him and he suggested them. Uh, John Alexander yeah. suggested these guys because it would seem like he would be the kind of person that would suggest them because they're not obvious at all. Right, right. I mean, if we were talking, if there was a, just a, some person interested in UFOs, I mean, we'd see like Friedman, Rich Dolan, and people like that. Yeah, you know, if you you put together a UFO conference or a bunch of UFO speakers, they, these guys never show up. Um, I mean, uh, they're never invited, except possibly Alexander and um, Charles Holt and Pope. But these two other guys, you know, almost half the speakers, nobody ever hears from them. I'm surprised they showed up, but I wonder if they have tapes of what they said for sale. I had a, next time in Vegas, I had to go there and find out. Yeah, well, it says there's a, an exhibit there now. So. Yeah, it's an Area 51 exhibit. I don't know if it's semi-permanent. A, guy, a friend of mine at work went to it. He said it was really silly. But I want to go see it in my perspective and see what and see what I can make out of it. It could also be, you know, it's the National Atomic Testing Museum. It could just be, you know, shit. No one comes to our museum. <laughs> you know, no one. How can we get more people through the doors here? Let's yeah, add sure. a UFO thing. That'll, yeah. you know, sure it's a publicity stunt too. You're right. So it could just be that sort of thing. But I mean, to, to get back to, I mean, what do you think of that idea that that that, that the UFO fandom? is sort of grasping at straws here, in a sense. Well, I think it is, because nothing new's come along. How did you get that feeling from all the people you've been interviewing the past in the past year? About the grasping at straws or the stagnation? Both. I've felt the stagnation myself, personally, just that, that we haven't seen anything in the last few years. It's kind of come up in conversations uh, with you and me, and previously when we would have Nick on these shows, there wasn't really anything because we because we, we have these conversations all the time where it's like, yeah, you know, why is this? Why do we have nothing? There was like one good year, uh, the the years we've been doing this. And I think that was the Stephenville year where there was a few different breakthrough moments. Oh yeah, yeah, and then like last year was the year everybody got mad because they're like, we don't care. Right. No, that was two years we ago. Last year, we defended against that. Didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care about a lot of this stuff. I mean, it was interesting, I guess, but it didn't. It didn't change the game. It didn't change my mind. It didn't make anybody outside the field really care to notice. So, you know, no, it wasn't that interesting. I, I feel like this year's a little better because we're 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 not trying to say, well, what happened this year and what do we think about it. We're just kind of jumping around, which I think is a little bit better. That's why I do stuff on my show, especially if I. Especially if I think it's not going well, I just start jumping around. What movies did you like? You know, right, like. right. Well, we're sort of reminiscing about things we remember from the year. It's hard, even you know. I mean, I yeah, somewhat follow the, it, really. the paranormal field. Obviously, I, fo- I follow all the different fields, and it's like you know, it was almost more of a year. It was, it was really you know more of a year of, of interesting Bigfoot news than UFO stuff. It's just kind of weird. Oh, like that Bigfoot DNA thing with the uh, yeah. uh, Ketchum or somebody like that, the, yeah. the veterinarian in Texas. Right. I thought that was really interesting. They found, uh, I guess she went and compared hair, blood, whatever, all the, all these biological samples from a bunch of different Bigfoot researchers or um, collectors or something, just re- researchers that found this stuff, and she and her team seemed to think it's some sort of 
hybrid hominid DNA, and right. nobody else has been able to replicate it yet, probably because they don't have access to the samples, which is kind of stupid. They Everybody should have full access to all these things so they can start replicating it. Right, right. I thought that was interesting. And I think it's it's interesting as more of that sort of stuff happens that they turn to the genetics aspect of it, you know. I know Lloyd, Lloyd Pye is still plugging away the star child skull and the DNA part of that whole thing. So he announced that it really is alien DNA. Which I believe I so, yeah. If something was alien DNA, but... Yeah, he he had some revelations that it that it, that it is non-human or something like that. So, well, Jesus, do you think he'd ever say anything different? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's a hoaxer. It's just one of those things where you just you've got something. It's 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 become part of who you are, and to just say that, oh no, it's just it's inconclusive and it's nothing. You can't do that. Right. Right. You know, because that thing is so important to him. So any, well, who knows? Maybe he came out with some incontrovertible evidence that is being covered up that the thing is actually alien. But I personally doubt it. But you know, I'd have to know more about it than and to just come out and say the guy's full of crap because I don't I don't know if he is or not. I have a I have a feeling that he's that's it's just the elongated skull of somebody like those. Group that group they found in Mexico recently that just had the elongated skulls from being elongated, not because they're aliens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says here Lloyd Pye announces startling genetic evidence that Star Child skull is alien. So, well, I would like to know what his startling evidence is. DNA. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's all I've got for you. Well, see, the, there's the there's the there's there's a two sided coin here. One is that. Um, if it was, you know, if it really is, you know, it might not be alien DNA or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The point is that if it is, it would be so ridiculous to the mainstream that they really wouldn't care or take a look at it anyway. Right. And what's the mainstream really going to do with it? I don't know. I mean, if and if they, it might be covered up or made irrelevant or whatever. But, yeah, exactly. What are they going to do with it? Because it, it's, it comes from such a lineage of people not believing it for so long. Why, why should they suddenly believe, you know, do 180? Because most people made their mind up on that kind of stuff and, and the Star Child Skull and all that a long time ago, if they even hear of it. Well, you'd think, though, that so if I anything, that would be one that the mainstream would feel more comfortable with picking up. Because it's like, all right, well, there's nothing really to worry about. It's a long, dead alien. Yeah. You know, we don't know how it got here or whatever, but apparently aliens are real. We only have the one, and it's dead. So, yeah, for a long time. You know, what if Lewis Leakey found it? Yeah, that might be a little different. It, he might have. A lot of scientists and geologists and archaeologists might have found all kinds of weird stuff, and just said, "Well, this doesn't really fit in," so they just throw it in the back somewhere or or throw it aside. Right. I've heard that sort of idea with giants and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's a old idea. Keel brought it up. Um, um, Jim Brandon in that book that I keep bringing up, uh, Rebirth of Pan, brings it up. Um, I think, uh, who did the uh, source book? William Corliss brings that up. He tries to find stuff that people actually did report but never really made any big deal about. Right. All his all his source book stuff, which people really should check out. I mean, if you want some, some 40 and porno, go get all those source book things. They're fascinating. Interesting. I'll have to check these out. Who's the author again? 
William Corliss, C O R L I S S. I think he has a website and you can get all he's been he's been basically he's like Charles Fort reincarnated. He's recollected all these, you know, he's got a book of, you know, weather anomalies and a, a book of, you know, uh archaeological anomalies and and geological anomalies and it's just books and yeah. hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of pages. Now on a on a broader scale moving even we'll move away a little bit of UFOs is uh what did you we're just sort of looking at the year in general. I thought it was kind of interesting. It was looking at an article that was like uh a dozen or more uh futuristic events that actually happened in 2012 that had long been predicted. And, you know, a lot of them were sort of like technological type stuff, but I thought the one that was really interesting and has some resonance is the, is the superstorm. I said, you know, that now this was the first really like supermassive superstorm. And of course, and, and even in the article, it was like predicted by Art Bell and Whitley Strieber in their book, Coming Global Superstorm. You know, now we have a superstorm that happened. So it was thought that, that was oh, kind of Andy? interesting. Yeah. Because it covered like the whole East Coast. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. I mean, maybe we are beyond the whole 2012 My Encounter thing. Maybe we are sort of on the precipice of some kind of awful global weather change. Yeah, could be. I mean, I do feel like that's happening. But it's yeah, slow. It, of all the likelihoods of things, I think that climate change is one of the one of the more likely ones. Um, yeah. From whatever reason you want to ascribe it to humans or whatever, or natural pulse of the planet, I don't know. But, yeah, it seems like that is changing. The other thing is I, I tend to think is if you read scientific journals, you can see a lot of this. This is what apparently, uh, who's that, Ed uh, Dames used to do. Yeah. Um, read scientific journals and then make, you know, make these predictions based on, you know, frogs are going to be, uh, there are going to be more frogs found with genetic uh Variants and mutations, like well, that was in the scientific literature like two or three years before he even said anything about it. Yeah. So a lot of these things come from, and I don't know if I'm really accusing Art Bell and Whitley Strieber of this at all. It's just I don't even know where they got their information because I never read the book. But um, a lot of scientific research never gets never gets in the mainstream until they go viral somehow or something is confirmed or whatever, but a lot of this stuff is sitting there in in, in the science journals waiting for uh waiting to become relevant. Hmm. And I think that superstorm thing, I don't know, but maybe there's a <clears throat> some history of models predicting that this would happen too or saying that it was going to be likely. Right, right. But regardless of whether it was predicted or not, it did you know, we may be on the cusp of this sort of these things being yeah. more commonplace. I mean that could be the 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 game, a game changer in a way. Yeah, it could be. I mean, I, maybe that's you know that some people say that that's the 2000, the 2012 thing is is a is a nodal point or a whatever a beginning point of change of some nature, be it psychic, uh, psychological, uh, geological, or you know asteroid destroying us or whatever. Well, speaking of the nodal change and all that, I mean. Thankfully, they've quieted down, but I noticed, too, uh, after December 21st, 2012, there was a small handful of real nutcase losers who were, like, acting as if something did happen, acting as if they had had some transformational shift. And it was like, would you get a life, dude? Nothing happened. Get over it. <laughs> like, thankfully, I, we, they haven't, we haven't heard much more from them. But on Facebook, there was, like, four or five people that were like, 
I felt it. I'm way more in tune with, you know, my inner fucking child or some shit. It was like, <laughs> it was like, get out of here, man. Nothing happened. Just admit it. Get over it. Nothing happened. So well, maybe something did happen to them, but they're so primed for it, you know. Right. Um, it, it, Walter, my friend Walter Bosley does, says this, and it, it, it makes sense to me. There's some things that are so personal that you can't really do. Well, this, I don't think the 2012 thing falls into that category. But there's some anomalous experiences that are so personal that trying to prove it to other people is just ridiculous. It's useless. Yeah. They do not know what you're talking about, and they have no, they sh- you should have no expectation of them believing you until they go through it themselves. So you might as well just shut up about it. All right. um, I don't believe of, them though. Still, or found, you know, find a couple people that have had the same experience that you can share this with. Because if you go public with it, people just think you're nuts because they have no, they have no um, basis to what's the word? They can't empathize with you because they have no idea what you're talking about. So, that, you know, that's not really a tangentially related 2012 thing. But a lot of this stuff is a matter of perspective. A lot of the anomaly yeah. stuff. And it's it's hard to popularize something that only a small portion of the population has had experience with. It's just it's it's fascinating to the rest of the population, but there there's no way to, to describe it to them except as aliens from other planets or ghosts or whatever you want you know, experience of some sort of psychic whatever. It's not readily reproducible for everybody, so it just remains on the fringe for now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I've, I've noticed here, uh, I, I said, uh, before we started the show that I sort of, uh, surveyed people to suggest stuff that might come up. And, uh, this guy, Marco, he mentions the, the Chase Brandon story, but what stood out to me is the final sentence of what he posts here. And he says, I never really saw any major follow-up after the story broke. And that was almost the exact same words about the, about the UFO underwater. It seems like there's never any follow-up to any of these stories. Yeah. You notice that? Yeah. It's so it's it's frustrating because we yeah, talk about them, we hit on these stories, and it's like whatever happened with that? Nothing ever happens with this stuff. Yeah, well, you can ascribe it to some sort of cover up, which may be true. You can also ascribe it to whoever was doing something made a big announcement and then just couldn't get it together, or yeah. the results were inconclusive, or whatever. It's frustrating. Like those people that were supposed to go to Africa and look for the the Mokelium Bembe dinosaur again for the hundredth time. I don't know. They were supposed to go in June or July, and I never heard what happened to them either. So I don't, you know, it's it's all this stuff becomes inconclusive, and then, you know, it's just like any other piece of news at this point. It's exciting for five minutes, and then, you know, if nothing else exciting happens with it, it just dies. I mean, what if they did come back with a dinosaur? Yeah, it'd be all over the place. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. But I, I am fairly certain they won't. I'm fairly certain nobody's ever going to put a Bigfoot in a cage either because I think it's paraphysical, not physical. Oh, like it can leave the dimension somehow? Yeah, that it's, 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 the only explanation I can think of for Bigfoot and, and a few, and a lot of cryptids, unless they, you know, basically capture one, uh, is that they, you know, and this is not at all, uh, original is that they exist for a while where we can see them physically. That, that's the only thing I can think of. That's the only thing that matches the evidence. That they, they they only appear for a little while. If you want to call it a window or a dimensional thing or whatever, that's fine. But 
they're only physical in our and in the way we can see them and experience them for for the time that we see and experience them. Right. I talked about this. I think I forget with who, but the the joke that I made since I keep finding the scat, the Bigfoot scat. Maybe Bigfoot just comes into our dimension to, to go to the bathroom. <laughs> And throw rocks at people. Right. Well, wouldn't you if you were going to the bathroom and someone was watching you? You'd be like, get out of here. I'm trying to take a crap. <laughs> the, when I went out in New Mexico in, at the Dulce Reservation with a, with a couple people, I talked to one of the tribal members there, and he said that Bigfoot had been on his property. And I don't, I don't think he was an Indian playing jokes on white people. He said that the Bigfoot research people had come there, and people had rocks thrown at them in the, at night. And it could have been Indians throwing rocks at them, I guess. I don't know, but the, he said he'd seen one on his property, and people have been seeing them for, there for years, and that's true. He didn't make that up. Um, but, the, you know, nobody's ever able to catch one. Nobody ever finds one. It's like, well, how come they haven't found a dead one? Well, maybe they buried their dead. Well, surely, if there's that many, they should have found a grave or something at some point. Nah. No, because I don't – maybe not. But I also think it's because they're not physically present in the way we think they are. Right. Uh, Lauren Coleman and a lot of Bigfoot researchers think differently. They think it's a Gigantopithecus or whatever it is. I'm not an expert. I don't know if anybody is, but um, I don't. I don't think they're. I don't. I don't think anybody's ever going to catch the Loch Ness monster or Bigfoot or Chupacabras or any of these things because you can't. It just. It's kind of the same reason that cameras and stuff stop working when these things are around a lot of the time. Right. I don't know why that is, but that's just the way it is. It, it's it's almost like it's designed itself to be undetectable by us in the way that we would like to detect it. Yeah, yeah. Believe me, I'm a huge Bigfoot fan. I wish they could capture one, but I've grown disenfranchised with the idea that they will. Yeah, I I, I don't think so. I want somebody to convince me that they will, but it's. I haven't heard a good argument yet. You know, at some point I want to have Lauren Coleman on and just kind of have a debate with him about it. He's much, much, much more knowledgeable about that than I am, which is why I'd like to have him on and talk to him. I mean, I would be thrilled if they captured the Bigfoot. That would probably be like the highlight of my life, one of them at least. Yeah, be a highlight of a lot of people's lives because they finally have, you know, some sort of evidence. But I don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. And I don't think that... I think, not, yeah, I put more possibility in in all that, but the creature down in Sumatra there, the Orang Pendek. I think that's just a just a rogue monkey that they'll eventually capture, probably on film. Yeah, you know, but I don't think it's because that, that that's just lurking around in the jungle and shit that no one can really get into and stuff. So yeah. it's entirely possible. I mean, I've talked to Adam Davies a lot about it, and it's like he's you know he's been in places in the Sumatran jungle that no people have ever been in. Yeah, it's like, well, shit. Of course, a little ape is going to be able to live in there. That, if you were a little ape, wouldn't that be, you know, be the perfect place to live? So, yeah, to keep away from people that are trying to kill, capture, or whatever, do whatever to you. Right. Giant apes, on the other hand, I think the Bigfoot. I I think there's some paranormal element to it. There, I feel like there has to be. Yeah, there's there's got to be. I mean, there's there's so many reports of. Weird things happening with with Bigfoot that has nothing to do with some hairy hominid, like you know UFOs being in the area, or um, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever heard of any disappearing before people's eyes. But you know, they'll go behind a tree and then they won't be there anymore. It's like what? Right, or the tracks will just stop, yeah. like at random when they shouldn't. They couldn't stop at random. 
like, well, how does that happen? Yeah, I mentioned the other funny thing about Bigfoot, and I mentioned this on my show the other night, which I haven't posted, is that I went to see uh, the a couple of years ago to see the uh, news conference that guy Jeffrey Gonzalez with the Sanger Paranormal Society in uh, Fresno, California, had on his the Bigfoot face print on the truck thing. Yeah, somebody asked about that in, in the uh, in the lead up here. Yeah, and, and no, I haven't I haven't heard what's happened with that. He had the actually the I think the panel or the door taken off his truck and put like in cold storage for later, and then had the door. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if there's how to write to him and find out if anything came of it. Uh, but you know the, the news concert conference was fun, and you know they they presented a bunch of sort of inconclusive evidence that was possibly exciting, but possibly not. They they they're trying to be very careful, especially in light of the Biscardi thing. Right, right. But the the interesting thing was to me that afterwards, one of the guys that hung out with him that you know was in the mountains when this thing happened. When the, you know when they they left and then came back and found the prints and stuff thrown all over the truck, um, I talked to him later and he said people don't know this but the Bigfoot. He said there's a lot of Bigfoot researchers say that the Bigfoot um, imitates and mocks people. Yeah, I remember you saying that on your show. Yeah, where where, uh, where it speaks, it can like sort of mimic it will, a, a, a it voice. Will say you're, like somebody else, like somebody will be. He said some guy was missing out of camp. Like you know, where's Bob or something. In the middle of the night, they're going, "Where's Bob?" And then out in the woods, they hear this guy, this voice going, "Where's Bob? Where's Bob? Where's Bob?" Just imitating them, crashing around in the bushes. That would be spookier than anything. Yeah, that's more spooky than just you know screaming noises. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll, he said, it'll swear at you too. If you, he said, if somebody like comes in and starts bugging you at night, what's the first thing you're going to say? You're going to start swearing at them. Yeah. Like f you. And he said, Bigfoot will say that back at you. <laughs> like a really super intelligent parrot that just re- repeats everything, repeats your 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 uh, words back to you. Now the one story, one story that is beyond uh, all this stuff that I thought was really interesting was uh, the story of the neurosurgeon. Have you heard this? Uh, he had the near death experience. Have you heard about this? The one that says that heaven exists. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty interesting, at least because it comes from a neurosurgeon. You know, it's not just some – it has the scientific background to it. Now, I haven't looked in depth at his stuff, but, you know, I think that he's at least trying to make sense of what happened to him. Yeah. I don't – you know, I'm not trying to put the guy down, but just because a message comes from a scientist doesn't mean that it's it's automatically, you know, true. Right, right. It means we might assign it some more – Relevance because the person has a little bit of a background where they think about things a little bit more deeply. And I read uh, something about that, where a skeptical article about it, where the where the person whoever wrote it said, um, "It's interesting, but it's inconclusive to most people because it's there's just you know how can you reproduce that?" and and the the fact that it ha you know people have reported such things for many years means that there's a state of mind where you experience something that people say is heaven. But we can't experience it on demand, really. Yeah. And there's pro- plenty of people that say they've experienced hell, too, in the near-death experience. You know, not not just heaven. So maybe, maybe you know, maybe both exist. Um, and maybe it's like the UFO and paranormal thing to me where you're, 
your brain, however dead or inactive it is, is interacting with something. It's not, it may not be experiencing something, it's interacting with something, so it's a co-creation of whatever you think it should be or your genetics or your upbringing or whatever thinks it should be and what your brain is experiencing and you're, you trying to make sense of it. Hmm. And if that's heaven, then it's heaven. I talked to, I interviewed this guy like the second or third issue of Excluded Middle. He was, say, an ophthalmologist. Um, Dr. August Reeder was his name. Um, he was at Cedar sinai uh, He had a near-death experience, and, you know, he had the thing with the light and the whole bit, you know, going towards the light. Yeah. And then he claimed, this was an ophthalmologist, you know, eye doctor, a credentialed eye doctor, working at a major medical facility, like a world-famous one, saying that he had a near-death experience. And and then he said he reproduced it by holding his breath until he spontaneously popped into it again. Wow, weird. So I don't know what to make of that. And he didn't quite know either. He just said, look, according to my experience, the the near-death experience is is a real thing that happens to people. What fascinates me about it is that there's some, and I'm sure people listening have heard about this, is there's some studies where people leave, you know, they first they leave their body and they're kind of floating above it. Yeah. And they can see and hear everything, you know, that's going on. What, you know, if you're, there's plenty of studies to show that when people are sub, are knocked out, at least anesthetized. The surgeons have, there's a rule now, I think the surgeons and people in the operating room are not allowed to talk about the outcome of the operation or anything because a lot of time people can hear that. Yeah. Whether they're aware of it or not, they subconsciously, they, 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 you know, they say, oh, this guy has no chance. You hear that and when they wake up, they just, they just figure they don't have any chance. Right, right. Um, but the fascinating thing is when people can, you know, say that they left their body and then they went other places. Like one woman said that she died and then she went outside the window and, and like around the corner of the building to another part of the building, mm. went in a window and saw some other stuff. But she, what she saw on the edge of the building, like on the window ledge, was a like a sneaker or a shoe. Right. It went and checked there later and there, you know, it wasn't outside the window and you couldn't see it from the street. You'd have to like open the window, stick your head out and look. Yeah, I've heard stories like that. Yeah, and it's like, well, I guess she could have known about it, but, you know, that's not the only one. So people people have access to information they shouldn't have when they're in a quote unquote near death state, and that that's to me that's you know real strong evidence that there is such a thing as a near death experience, and people do quote unquote leave their bodies somehow or their consciousness, their awareness, their personality, whatever becomes detached from their physical body. Pardon the interruption, but I'm Kevin Blackstone. Tony, the Olympics actually started today. Do you have Olympic fever? Tony Kornheiser, that depends. Would it make my groin itch? You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Uh, that might be something else. You really? Like doctor check that out. I really like the Olympics. Do you think we're going to have any breakthroughs here in the new year? This year? Any, any breakthrough? We're going to be sitting here doing the 2013 wrap-up saying, you know... No UFOs, no Bigfoot. Um, the first thing I thought of when you said that was, I hope so. <laughs> that's that's where it came from. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm reaching the desperation point. <laughs> I haven't reached any desperation. No, point. no, yeah, I know. <laughs> the only time I really take any notice of the UFO and paranormal thing is when I either, one, interview somebody on my show, um, and we talk about it, or two, just something so undeniably weird just pops up that everybody hears about it, and somebody at work will say, hey, Greg, you're into all that weird stuff. Did you hear about this? Yeah. And I'll have to go take a look at it. 
So, no, I don't really actively follow it anymore because I've stopped being amazed and surprised, really. The only things I'm amazed and surprised by are, you know, kind of like normal things, uh, normal science things or normal technology things or normal uh, uh, whatever, weird things like the uh, – because there's plenty of stuff like 40 and times type stuff going on, like the kid in China that can see in the dark with blue eyes. And right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of weird – this, I was, yeah, I was thinking of that. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens that you just don't, you can't even classify it, really. I know. Those, that, those are the things that still turn me on and I still like. What was my favorite? I mentioned to you before we came on. Oh, the guy in Seattle who, who said police came and he was all beat up and screaming because he'd been, he'd been injured. And he said a, a bunch of leprechauns beat him up for dancing with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. And if there's nothing in the story that's like, you know, where there are other people said that he just got beat up by some guys. Yeah. But everybody was, but the funny thing was, and this report, it also says when the police got there, everybody was running away from the scene of whatever it was. Like, is that because they all were involved and they thought the cops would bust them? Did they all see something they didn't want to talk about? Were they really leprechauns there? What the hell's going, you know, the, the story is frustratingly inconclusive about what's going on. Right. Or what happened? It happened in June or something. That's the guy you got to get on your show. Yeah. Did you have a but? And he said one of them was wearing a tank top. <laughs> oh, that's their enforcer. <laughs> oh, weird. See, yeah, it's the weird little things like that that fascinate me. I know. Uh, the, the, I don't know if you've been following the David Polides, uh work that he's been doing on missing people that go missing in in national parks. Somebody mentioned that on one of my shows, and I said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Walter kind of did. He's found, like, dozens if not hundreds of cases of people that go missing in national parks, and either they're never found again, or stories of, like, of, of like a like a toddler, like a two- or a three-year-old that, you know, he'll go missing, they'll find the kid, but the kid will be, like, across a river. Like, there's no way the kid could have gotten over there. Yeah. So really weird stuff. He's someone I'm in, I've been... I've been meaning to get on my show here, but uh, the books are like 400 pages, and there's two of them, so I just don't have the time to sit down and read them. And oh, now great! Now I got a whole other group of books I have to read. That sounds great. Yeah, so I mean that kind of stuff. That that that's the stuff that really excites me too. It's it's you know I can't really find. I don't care about more stories of the statue of Virgin Mary crying tears or, um, you know, rains of fish or anything like that, but. Yeah, beating up, by, getting beat up by leprechauns or strange disappearances in national parks is, yeah, the, the, those are those are those are new and you know and uh, and, and 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 interesting because of the novelty of it. Right now, just to get back to one of the things we touched on, what what do you make of the Chase Brandon story? I mean, I don't know what to make of it except that I think he put out a book, so part of me is just like, well, he saw something a long time ago. He claims, and now coincidentally, he's willing to talk about uh, it now that he has a book out. Dean's story, I saw something that was classified in secret, and or, or Bill Cooper, any of those people. I right. saw something that was classified in secret that confirms a lot of what your suspicions were, and um, that's it. And I don't have a copy of it. Okay? Right, right. It's like we can't really do much with this other than just to trust you. Yeah. And I, not that I don't trust him. Right. I have no idea. The funny thing is that, that, and I tweeted this actually when it happened, there's a guy I think the producer or narrator or something like that of an old UFO film in the 1970s, name was Brandon Chase. 
Interesting. Was it him? Yeah. It's it. I, it's I suppose I'm pretty sure it's a coincidence. But the if you go on IMDb, he's listed as like a producer or a vo- voiceover guy or something. Look up Brandon Chase. Weird. That that I didn't have it looked in months, but I I saw because uh, um, somebody talked to Stan Friedman and it was Bob Emenegger. He said he he'd heard Stan Friedman say, "Oh, that guy was involved with the UFO film in the '70s." So I looked it up, and it wasn't. It wasn't Chase Brandon. It was Brandon Chase. <laughs> Weird. I don't even know if Chase Brandon's his real name, actually. I think it's a pseudonym. It may be. I don't know. I, I seem to remember that it was a pseudonym. Yeah, it's a hard sort of story to really... I, I mean, I guess, the, I guess the idea behind all of this, from the UFO research point of view, is that at some point you reach some critical mass of accumulation of UFO porn. What what people like Greer and, and Bassett and the Disclosure Project and all this, I think they're trying to do is get to some, like you said, some critical point whereby there's so many people from the government just saying, look, we were exposed to this stuff. It's Look, right when we talk about this. I know. We were exposed to this stuff. It, it appears to be real. I think there is a cover-up of some kind of something anomalous, probably an alien civilization. And if enough people say that, then, then people that aren't convinced will be convinced. I don't think that's true. I think they can talk about it all they want, and nobody's going to be convinced until until there's just some undeniable thing which makes you know everybody you know think that okay, there are aliens from other planets, and yes, they are visiting us. Right, right. I don't think that's true. I don't know what to make of the people from the government coming out with revelations that that's what it is. Maybe that's the only way they can make sense of it. Who's that, the government or the people? Government and the people that are reporting these incidents. Yeah, maybe. They can make sense of it. And, the, the, you know, and my idea is that the cover-up is the only way we can make sense of it is aliens from other planets, but it doesn't fit all of that, and there's nothing we can do about it, so it's going to remain unresolved for now. Yeah. Oh. Because we don't have a 100% answer. If you don't have a 100% answer about something and what to do about it and how to control it, why deal with it? As long as it's not causing a problem, which it isn't. Well, the government has no in- incentive to tell anybody about this anyway, so. No, because it's it's a non-issue. I mean, it's either it's not causing any problems, it's just a minor annoyance, and it doesn't affect any policies, it doesn't affect the world, it doesn't affect how people are controlled by by uh, the information that's given to them, it doesn't affect any of that stuff, so it's a non-issue. Right. Uh, let me call yourself so we can, so we don't, we're not distracted by all this. Okay. Uh, hold on, what's the number, actually? Let me see. Uh, remember to edit it out. Don't Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. All right, folks, that's his number. Give him a call. I'll call you right back. Right. I've endorsed sort of the generational disclosure idea where eventually just people from my generation, you know, maybe even the generation, you know, the millennials, that everybody can't stand the, the people younger than me, because I'm no I'm no spring chicken anymore myself. So it's like maybe the maybe the people when they're the people in their twenties when they're in charge of the world, maybe then things will change. But there's still going to need to be some kind of like switch that gets flipped. Yeah, I don't know what that switch is going to be. Like uh, a lot of people have said this, I think it's, it's going to come from the phenomenon itself, not from us. Yeah, most likely because there's. You know, what are we admitting to? An unknown? Nobody admits to an unknown. Right. Yes, we don't know what to do. Yes, it's unknown. It's like, well, 
people don't like that. People like certainty. Yeah, unless there was this whole fabricated scenario where it's like, you know, they're all of a sudden they're like, let's take another look at this UFO thing because, uh, you know, the, the, the generations before us dropped the ball on this and maybe there's something to it. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Then they just start, yeah, well, you, you know, they start all over again like it's the 50s all yeah. of a sudden. You know? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the other thing I, I, I was, uh, I gave a talk about this a couple of years ago where I said get rid of UFO organizations, start over again, um, stop doing abduction research, at least the part where you publish books and, you know, go on lecture tours and all that. Stop all this stuff and start it with, it's just, if at all possible, no preconceived ideas, or at least different ones. Right, right. And see what happens. And if it's not tenable, then try something else, but don't stick with one thing. Um, because it, all it is is, you know, people, giants of the field like Hopkins and Jacobs and, and, and Mac and people like that, really Struber, I guess, to some extent, just saying this is, well, Struber isn't really in the same camp, but just saying, you know, this, these are aliens coming from other planets to steal our DNA. Well, that's fine, but there's no real way to prove that to be anybody outside your group. So either either you've got the secret to the you know an incredible secret that, that nobody wants to admit to, or you're not entirely right. Well, do you think I would go with the not entirely right thing? I, I would go with you are a stepping stone to a some different understanding. That's interesting. So I, I don't. I, you cannot deny their research. You cannot deny what they found out. But you can question their conclusions, which I do. Um, <laughs> but all that data and all that research and all that thinking about it is there's there's it's not worthless by a long shot. It should be used as a basis for for something else, whether it be to which I hope it isn't to carry it on, or or two to use it to to as a building block to go in another direction. Like, well, we've tried this, now let's go 180 degrees over here or whatever. Right, right. I don't know what that is. I'm not smart enough, but that, that's my idea of how that could change. Well, I think you, I think abduction research is going to go in that direction just because the the three big players are pretty much, well, two of them are gone, and the third one has sort of been marginalized uh, to a great yeah. extent. So really there's no... Ten poles in abduction research anymore, so I think that it it will go in that direction. Yeah, UFO research. I, mean, maybe I don't know. I'm I'm still, yeah. you know, I'm not sure where. I feel like I, I mentioned this to Stan uh, when we talked for the holiday show. It's like I feel like at some point, I feel like ufology is sort of no longer trying to figure this out anymore. It was well, like it's they've, they it's they reached a dead end. I think. Yeah. Nothing. We've we've tried to. For somebody like Kevin Randall, say yes, we figured out what it is. It's aliens coming from other planets. That's that's absolutely what it is. But but there's no way to prove that. I mean, right. you may think that's what it is, but there's there's no way to prove that except the fact that that's what you think it is. Um, it seems more advanced than us in some ways, and a lot of it seems to be coming from the sky or from space. Uh, we don't see it coming in from Mars or from interstellar space or whatever. Who knows how it would get here? I'm not saying it's not aliens from other planets. It very well could be. In fact, it's, uh, there may be ways to get around the faster than light thing. There's a lot of ideas about that now. So there could be things coming from other planets, but um, it hasn't 
it hasn't panned out really yet. It just it's just our it's just what we think. That's what we think it is. Right, right. Just, we we seem to think we're so advanced that that we know that's what it is. But you know, apparently, if that makes us smarter than somebody in the Middle Ages that thought it was demons or something. Oh no! Well, we're much more advanced and sophisticated now. We we know it comes from another planet. Oh yeah, how do you prove that? Besides, that's just what you think. Exactly. It's a very uh, We've gone over this so many times. <laughs> messy situation. I know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, here's a here's an interesting sort of question here. Now we've we've made it through 2012. That was sort of the big uh, apocalyptic date. I'm sure there'll be sort of minor, smaller ones in the years uh, ahead. But do you think that was the last, you know, sort of mainstream apocalyptic date that we're going to see for quite a long time? And we had we had Y2K, then we had 2012. There's no specific date really that anyone has on their mind right now. So do you yeah, think? Well, maybe the next one will be um, 2020 or something. Yeah. Yeah, like C-Lab 2020. Um, <laughs> no, I think it'll be, I, I think it'll be, um, some, the next doomsday that somebody will predict will be a close asteroid flyby. Interesting. So they'll have yeah, something actually yeah. attached to it instead of just being like, yeah. something bad's gonna happen, we don't know what it is. Yeah, but the, the thing it'll be is, is well, I, you know, it has to be a direct hit, otherwise, because it, it'll be, maybe it'll be one that's like, well, it might, but it may not. You know, because at any point that could happen. Right. It would be so close, it'd be kind of hard to. Well, I don't know. Maybe they can figure out by the by how it passes near certain planets and all that how the orbits are going to be affected. Um, but I have a feeling that that's the next one. It's like you know, there's an asteroid swarm coming. We're all going to die, or I don't know what. Or maybe somebody will think that they. You know that the scientists are wrong and they're covering it up or something like that. But yeah. I bet it'll be some like some concrete celestial thing like that. It's supposed to be two comets in in 2013. One like in June or April or May or June, and one at near the end of the year. Interesting. So and that might cause a minor friendly. Not so spectacular. Yeah, and one's supposed to be quite spectacular if it if it doesn't fizzle like Kohotek and some of these others. Because if you think, I mean, if you think about it, there really wasn't any. I can't think of predating Y2K. What was the, you know, what, 1984? Was there really any no. date that was that, that was like all hyped up? No, no, I, I can't really think of any doomsdays before, you know, and every millennium it happens. It happened in, you know, 1800 and 1900, probably happened in 1700 too, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know why the arbitrary, you know, Dating that we've come up with is supposed to be a, a you know unless there's some you know uh, subconscious um, resonance with with uh, with you know with the future or something like that that we've we've locked into just by creating our calendar system I don't know but which could be I suppose but anytime somebody says something's going to happen it never seems to really you know people can't really predict anything except really sporadically and really inaccurately and kind of a hit and miss thing. Right, um, right. I think people can predict stuff for themselves or people around them a lot more easily than they predict kind of society-wide things. Interesting, yeah. Because it's more relevant to them personally. I mean, well, the whole planet disappearing, I guess, would be relevant to them personally, too, but... Um, in the short term, I think that people are more finely tuned that are good at it, are more finely tuned to 
things that affect them and their immediate friends and their immediate universe of, of experience. Well, the nature of of sort of the predictiveness of it all, the nature of prediction, I thought was to kind of encapsulated by the 2012 thing in the, in the sense that everybody, uh, you know, had their mind trained on 12, 21, 12 for the big, uh, you know, end of the world, something crazy is going to happen, blah, blah, blah. But then if you look at the past month, actually one week before that was the crazy shooting in Connecticut. Yeah. So it's like, you know, see, we really can't, I think that encapsulates the whole trickiness of prediction. It's like no one was yeah, saying something crazy is going to happen on 12-14, but something crazy did happen on 12-14. Yeah. Besides, so. the Mayans, how, why would the Mayans give a shit that a, that a, a, a um, fairly large group of children were slaughtered on one day in the United States in 2012? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying that, 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 that it was contingent upon the Mayan calendar. I'm just saying that, like, you can never really predict anything. Like, the things that really become major, relevant, resonant moments always seem to come out of nowhere. 9-11, no one, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Yeah, there's all kinds of things after the fact where people said they had, you know, visions of it or whatever, but, you know, you don't hear about that until it's confirmed because people have dreams about weird and bad things all the time. Right, right. Nobody was, like, out there saying, you know, people predicted sort of this attack on America and stuff like that, but nobody predicted on 9-11. You know what I mean? I guess I'm yeah. just saying that, like, trying to put a fine date on things never works. And I think that, that, you know, juxtaposed against each other, the shooting and then the Mayan calendar indicates exactly that point. Yeah, there's a, um, I talked to, uh, interviewed Dean Radin a few weeks ago. I, the first time I interviewed him in years, I always like, I always feel like I, I'm racing to keep up with him. But the reason I said the thing about the personal relevance was that that's what, that's the first thing. I got out of him, I think, and then also remote viewers like Joe McMonagall said the same thing. That's why they used to show the remote viewers what they were predicting afterwards and take them there because then it would have personal relevance for them. And maybe that was coming back to them through time. Time became, you know, not a barrier anymore and they could perceive that. But the the thing about, um, yeah, long term is not good, but Raiden has this thing called the Global Consciousness Project, I think. Yeah. So they have a bunch of random num- number generators all over the world. Like, I don't know how many, probably 60, 80, 100 of them. Oh, wow. All running, and then when there's a large event that happens, they go and look and see if the randomness of those random number generators have been affected so that they're not just doing equal ones and zeros all the time, which is what they're normally doing. They're just spitting out random ones and zeros. And after, you know, a few minutes or a few hours, it averages out to 50-50. Yeah. But they find that when something um, earth-changing, society-changing, shocking or whatever happens, and a lot of people hear about it, um, all these number generators start to throw out non-random numbers. Right, right. Or, or you know, uh, either side of fifty percent is more ones or more zeros, and they they found that over and over again, and 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 it sometimes sometimes it starts before the thing happens, like a few minutes or a few hours before that they'll see the spike start to happen when they go back and look at the data. Yeah, yeah, that's the, the idea that people are are sort of tapped into something in the ether. Yeah, they're 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 predicting a future, but only like an hour in advance or something, or a few minutes or something. 
and they're not even really predicting anything. They're just sort of no, no, they're not spiking doing mentally or something. Yeah, yeah. It, they, people may not even be aware of such a thing. But I, I've got a, you know, a strong suspicion that there, there is that mind over matter is something that happens. And yes, these things are these random number generators are being affected by people's feelings about the future and, and actually about the present because the thing will start to go up before the event that it would that it will spike like some hours after the event and then in the next few days they go back down to normal randomness again right it happened during 9-11 um princess diana's funeral actually not the actual news of it coming out because i don't know if they had the thing set up by then oh weird and all all hooked up but it you know uh oj OJ um, trial uh, verdict, things like that. Yeah, major national, like international events. Yeah, major national or international news. Yeah, and these things are in countries all over the world. They're you know Europe and India and Japan and the United States, and South America and other places. Now, one big, uh, one big UFO news story that resonated with uh, me and clearly you was uh, the revelation of Falcon, which is, you've been teasing us with uh, for years, which finally happened this year. So I guess talk a little yeah, bit about exciting, that, because we have an idea on the show to talk about. for about a month. Yeah. <laughs> it a, yeah, it was exciting for about a month, and everybody kind of forgot about it, which is fine, because it wasn't that horribly important. But um, Bill Moore told me about this, like, in 2007, I think. Yeah. And what I was doing since then was... Well, first he told me to guess it, and it turned out that I had guessed it, but I hadn't given him the right name. It was just about my list of people. Yeah. So he, he told me I had essentially, you know, I said, oh, I had that name. He goes, well, I guess you guessed it, but you never told it to me directly. Um, and so I, I, you know, the next step was to find out who the guy was and how relevant he was and if he was connected to UFO stuff. And all I was ever able to find out after reading some of his books and doing some research is that, yes, he was in the CIA, the OSS before that, and uh, it's completely plausible that he would be brought out of retirement to run something like this. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, you could say that Bill Moore just pulled this name out of nowhere and, you know, and, and uh, you know, stuck it in the... <clears throat> Second in there because just to create some controversy. I don't know why he shouldn't even care. He doesn't really care. I, I personally can tell he doesn't really care if people know who Falcon is. Right. He just told me because I was really interested and he wouldn't tell me while I was doing the book. And I don't know why he thought the time was right after the book was already, you know, uh, at the printer and there's nothing I could do about it. Right. And maybe that's why he did it. I don't know. But, um, as it turns out, the guy would, it, if you looked at the story as I wrote it, it was told to me by various people, not just Bill Moore, but a bunch of different people. The name seems to fit. The, I mean, the, the circumstances and the and the, what the guy was good at seems to fit with everything else he told me. Like I said, he could have, you know, back-engineered it or whatever. Hmm. And then, you know, the thing that made me happiest is that, you know, re, the, the Canadian researcher Grant Cameron, as soon as he... he like shot that all over the internet as soon as I said it. I mean, before I was even done with my talk. Nice. He sent the name out to everybody. And what I thought by saying this, one of the main reasons I did it was because I thought, well, maybe there's somebody else with more resources than I have, have a better wherewithal to, to show where he was, what he was doing, what he was interested in, who he was talking to, all the stuff that I didn't have access to. Right. And can get back to me with that or publish something more relevant that 
to show that, and Grant Cameron sort of did that. He just put it in historical context. And what he said, which made me very happy, was that he said, there is no reason why this shouldn't make any sense. It, it totally makes sense in context of everything else. One that I've, Greg has said me, and everything that he's found out and and uh, documented, which is a lot. I mean, you take Project Beta and, like, expand it by, like, a thousand pages. That's the amount of information Grant Cameron has. Oh, wow. And he said, you know, it, it, he's, he, the guy's got a steel trap mind. He's, he retains everything. And he's, he's got an essay on it about Falcon and about Harry Rosicki, who was the guy's name. And he puts it in historical context with everything else that he's uh, been studying for a long time about about disclosure. and I don't really know if you should call it disclosure, but about the government's role in the UFO world, I guess, the UFO subject, and how they disseminate that information or how they treat it. He said that to him it made perfect sense. And he's, you know, he's he's a hardcore ETH believer, I believe, I, I think. He's fairly convinced it's aliens coming from other planets and structured ships. He's, he's a very dyed-in-the-wool UFO researcher. And he even agreed with me. So that, that made me feel a lot better, actually. Yeah. So if anybody has any time, yeah, go to Grant Cameron's site and just look up the Harry Rosicki article, Falcon article that he wrote. I don't, I don't know what the, it's called the President's UFO website. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what specific. Just Google Grant Cameron, you'll find it. Yeah. So that, that was the upshot of it. And it, it, um, I just, like I said, it, and I haven't heard from anybody yet except for Grant wrote that thing, but there's nobody from the inside or somebody who would know that's, oh yeah, that guy, I, I wondered what he was doing in 1981 with all those people. Right. You right. know, and the other, the other people supposedly in the aviary have never gotten back to me and said, oh yeah, I remember that dude. Because I don't think he exposed himself too much to the other, there's a very large dog fight outside right now. Nice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like sounds like a dog apocalypse. Nobody else in the supposed quote unquote aviary has ever gotten back to me or anybody you know and said, "Oh yeah, that was the guy." Yeah, so, plus it's like, why would he really interact? give out yeah. too much of information about himself anyway? You know. Well, he never did. You mean Falcon? Yeah. Well, he never did. I actually said, and I, this went in the book too. I, you know, Bill tried to get nice and familiar with him and how the family and all that, and he said the guy would just, he would just give him a blank look and go back to the business at hand. He, had, he did not care to be friendly or uh, familiar or anything like that. He said this, you know, his idea was, we're doing a job, this is a job, that's all we have to talk about. Right. Now, I heard you heard... The in is this. You, <laughs> you've heard from Bill Moore for the holidays, I heard. Yeah, he he emailed me, so he's still around. He's not, he's 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 in the east somewhere. I don't know where he is. Really, I don't know. So, but he emailed me and said, you know, Merry Christmas and hope you're doing well. And well, that's good. So, I was glad to hear from him. Yeah, yeah, because he had kind of gone off right your, your radar the, for a while. Yeah. Actually, one of his research people that he used to work with called me and said, you're, I heard you're going to announce who Falcon is. I heard from Greg Cameron. Don't you think you should ask permission? And I wrote, a, I, didn't, I didn't remember the guy. I said, ask permission from a who? And he said, from Bill, of course. And I said, Bill gave me permission. He gave me permission when he told me. Yeah, what was the guy, was the guy, like, mad? Yeah, he thought that I was trying to jump the, you know, basically reveal something that was told to me in confidence. Because he knew Bill, and he Bill told him a lot of things in confidence. 
Yeah. Bill told me other stuff in confidence that I've never talked about, most of which I've forgotten because it's not relevant anymore. But one of those things was the Falcon thing. And he, just, as soon as he told me, I said, "What do you want me to do with this?" He said, "Do whatever you want with it. I don't care." Nice. Yeah, well, that's weird that the guy got all, all verklempt about it. Well, as soon as I told him, ah. I said, I just talked to Bill the other day, in fact, before you even emailed me and said, I'm going to do this, and do you mind? And Bill said, well, I don't care. I told you you could do it when I told you, so do whatever you like. And he told me, if, Bill told me a couple more things that I, I said during the talk. Yeah. Just uh, a couple of more tidbits of information that he never said before when he knew I was going to announce it on the Internet on that talk, and it had to do with who else was in the organization, who was running it, um, and uh, how it was ran out, run out of the CIA and how it was run off the books and all that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's incredibly ancient past history, but it's also relevant to understanding how we got to where we are now and and to be careful when you hear anything coming from the government about UFOs to be, you know, not to, especially if you're a researcher and they, you know, Somebody wants to somebody wants to take you aside and say, you know, I've got this little piece of information that nobody else is going to get. Yeah, that would make me more suspicious than that. Yeah, you know, and most most people, not just you for researchers, most people say, oh well, some somebody important in the government is telling me something. It must be important, and I must be important. Right, right. So that's you know, if they want some BS to come out or want to start spreading certain rumors or whatever, go to the eager UFO researchers or any eager journalists or whatever and start leaking these stories. Exactly. That's maybe where a lot of this UFO porn comes from. <laughs> Who knows? The, the the weird naval intelligence guy in the in the 90s that used to uh, show my and my friends stuff. A lot of it were, were UFO porno pictures of supposed like you know UFOs being tested Area 51 with the hangars in the background and all that. Uh, there was no way I could tell whether those were real or not. I right. I did not know. I never even published any of them. I just, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, that's interesting. You're scaring the crap out of me here in a lot of ways, but, <laughs> you know, that's interesting. He, he did. He went out of his way to make me paranoid, and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are today. Well, I just got tired of being paranoid after a while. Yeah, well, you know, there's no point in really being I, – I, I don't understand the people that are, like, super paranoid. You know, I mean, sometimes like earlier tonight we were talking and we got all this static and everything. We don't necessarily believe the government's tinkering with things, but sometimes it's a little more fun to, to acknowledge the, the possibility. Yeah, I've had my mail opened and tampered with from certain people. That happened for a while. I think I had, you know, people maybe looking in my windows or taking pictures of it, but, you know, those could have been real estate people. I'm sure people were tampering with my mail. Yeah. Because it was just from certain people. But what am I going to do about it? I mean, you know, finally, I just said, look, I'm doing nothing illegal, so what do I have to be worried about? I don't have child porn on my computer. I don't have, I don't have any drugs, you know, in the yeah. house. I'm not doing anything wrong. I have nothing to hide. So if somebody's watching me, they must want me to know because I've, I've noticed it. Right, right. And then after a while, either they stopped or I stopped noticing because it went away. In fact, when I made the decision to stop worrying about it, a lot of it went away. It just happened to be... You know, some people say, oh, well, you've, you know, you stop being so vigilant about it, and then, of course, you don't notice anymore. But if nothing's happening to me, I'm doing nothing wrong, why should I care? Exactly. I, I, you know, I've, I hope somebody isn't watching me when, you know, 
I'm going to the bathroom or taking a shower or whatever, <laughs> but I don't think they're interested in that crap. You know, I think they would be more interested in who is communicating with me and for what purpose. Right, and it, just to get really creepy, I mean, you got to figure that in this modern age, they don't need to be hanging around outside your window and shit. They can just probably just punch in some kind of thing on the computer and read all your emails every anyway, what, no matter what. So Yeah, well, this was like in the mid-90s or early, right. yeah, early to mid-90s. 93 or 94 when I, like, just, you know, people had AOL and stuff. Right. Nowadays, they have total access to your email. They have total access to your Facebook, so they don't need yeah. to be following you around. It's frightening. Yeah, that people ask that. Prospect is. Like, do you think people are, you know, government people are involved in the UFO thing? And I was like, no. I think all they have to do is read people's emails and look at their website. Right, right. Or if they really want to, listen to their cell phone calls. Phone calls, any phone call. Exactly. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to have any contact with the person. You know who they're going to talk to. You know who they if you, if people are smart, I've met paranoid people that will only talk to me in a public place, but away from other people. Or either that or in a private house where they know that, know what's going on. Yeah. I've had, you know, people I talked to for Project Beta and other that, that you, you could tell they were old spies because they would only do certain things a certain way based on, keeping other people from hearing. Whether people were listening to us or not, I don't know, but I think that was just their habit. Yeah. Interesting. And you notice every time, it's like, they're all going to pick the corner table away from everybody else at the restaurant. And it's going to be a restaurant that they know, and they know the people there that run it and all that. They've been going there for years. Right. Yeah, but that happened way more than way, way more than a couple of times. Interesting. Interesting. This has gone down an even weirder path than I expected here. Yeah. <laughs> People tuning in for the 2012 review were probably like, what the fuck, man? They barely talked about anything. But there really wasn't anything, you know, to get yeah, since we've got about 15 minutes left to circle back around. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in 2012 that I no, think that, I, that, you know, that, that people should be, be, I wouldn't say concerned, but maybe that people should be intrigued about. I like to think that my audience and your audience, they're, they're a discerning group of people. And, yeah. and I mean, I posted the call for stories and stuff that we might have missed, and, and a lot of people just didn't really have anything to say, so. I oh, think, wow, there you go. Yeah, I think the whole idea oh, of rehashing. What's that? There's something on my list that didn't come up. That What's that? A, that? Which you probably saw. Some guy, some anonymous guy named David, apparently in Kentucky, said that his family was being plagued by goblins. Ah, yeah, someone posted that on my Facebook. Apparently it was a hoax. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah, well, it kind of looked like a hoax, but it was such a great... And you could tell, you know, it was so near the Kelly Hopkinsville thing and sounded like it. Yeah. You know, just in a different form. That's a, that was a great hoax then. I, I, it was it was it was very entertaining seeing what they had on there. And the guy that was the guy that wrote it up was kind of like, "This is intriguing. It's, it sounds interesting." I the guy isn't really communicating with me very much. He sent me these weird pictures. What do you think of them? He wasn't saying, "Oh my God, this guy is being plagued by goblins." Right. Let's go down. They were thinking of going down there because the guy asked them to come down there because he thought that the goblins were coming out of a cave near his or a mine near his property, which is interesting actually because. If you read some of the the uh, Fordian and and I guess more on the kind of humanoid creature end of things, a lot of this stuff happens around abandoned mines and caves and stuff. And I definitely think there's weird there's weird shit in caves them. and stuff. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And it's, it, it seems, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of people, well, a lot, a few researchers have pointed out that any place that's riddled with caves, mines, underground facilities and all that seem to have some sort of weirdness connected with them. Um, because of the fact that there's open spaces underground, uh, however that affects the local, uh, environment, maybe it, maybe things live in the caves or maybe people's brains are affected differently around those kind of things because of the energies there or something. I, I do not know, but it, it's, it's fascinating to me. If the guy, the guy picked a great place and, and context for his hoax. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. So the goblins, that excited you this year. Yeah, I like that story. He said they had large, oily eyes. I don't know how you have an oily eye. <laughs> a little slit for a mouth and not much nose. And uh, They look like, he said his daughter said that they were, the, the hairless white children were playing around in the in the garden again, and it scared her. Oh, God. Anyway, uh, that's, that's too bad it was a hoax, because it's, it's such a great story. <laughs> well, it's still a great story. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, it's fascinating. It's, uh, like I said, the, I, either the guy was just a savant, or he did a little bit of research. Well, I that, that reminds me of one bit of research. sort of genre that's picked up a lot of interest. That's the black-eyed kids. I've, uh, there's been a new book that came out this year about it. Uh, Jason Offit's been oh, really? on my show a couple times talking about it. And uh, that's sort of picked up steam quite a bit. So that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good creepy subgenre of uh, this, the horror humanoids. Yeah. I, I wrote something about it about, oh, God, on UFO Mystic a few years ago, and it was it, it creeped me out then. I got to see some of these, uh, got to see these books about it. Yeah. And the other thing that was a, a crate, we talked about it last year on the end of year thing, the, the strange noises. Yeah, that picked up huge right after you mentioned it on the show. That yeah. was a big, actually, Both that's, of us that's, mentioned that's, it. Actually. Yeah. That's, we were saying, well, what about all these noises everywhere? And then in January, they're like, all over the, all over right. the world. I forgot, like, see, I forgot all about Very that. quickly. Yeah. Yeah, that and was like I, I the went, big thing. I looked at some of the videos, and they sounded like horns or something like that, and some of them looked like hoaxes, and who knows? Yeah, that was, yeah, I remember that. Now that you mention it, I see I had totally forgotten about the big uh, anomalous sounds uh, flap. flap, yeah, <laughs> that happened at the beginning yeah. of the year. So it just goes to show yeah. you, I mean, these things happen, they come along, you know, and in the immortal words of Marco from my Facebook wall, uh, I never saw anything, any follow-up to it. It's very <laughs> frustrating. I mean, seriously, have you heard anything about the anomalous sounds since? No. It's no, like, okay, well, we don't know what they are. They're dying out very quickly. Yeah. And I don't know if that's because there are a lot of hoaxes that played off each other or there was a few, you know, a few things that precipitated it. And it, But it's not like there's not a a history of strange sounds uh being heard in different places. But this is just like it was like a yeah, it was a flap. It was like and it was worldwide yeah. too. The paranormal community's some... New Year's resolution for twenty thirteen should be more follow up. Yeah. <laughs> follow up on this. Maybe I'll find out from Jeff Gonzalez if they actually ever got the DNA tested from the Bigfoot face smear on his uh on his truck. I'd like to follow up on that. And the other thing is he said he'd take me up in the mountains where they would always hear or experience Bigfoot noises. He said he was going to take me up there, and it never happened, and I really want to go. 
Yeah, you should. Um, not now because it's covered in it snow, out. but when when the, when it thaws, I'm going to bug him again about it. There you go. Uh, I'd like to be in the woods and have somebody come in and start uh, uh, Bigfoot come crashing through. Wouldn't scare me. They've never hurt anybody. It would be startling and and probably get your heart pounding, but I wouldn't feel like it any mortal danger. Just like ghosts, I would I would be startled and 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 excited by some sort of ghost sighting, but I don't think I'd be afraid. Yeah, I don't like think so. getting scratched and smacked or whatever like some people get. Yeah, that happened. That would be a different story, but if it's just sort but of still like... still, it doesn't kill anyone, you know? I, I've never heard of, like, serious injury happening. Unless you talk about the Bell Witch thing where the guy just got sick and sicker and sicker and died. But, right, right. Um, or if you have a heart attack from the fright or something, it scares you. <laughs> surprises you so much that you have a heart attack. I suppose that yeah. happens. That's possible. Now, we're near the end of our two hours here. What... You've you've written the Falcon piece, so that was something that you've been teasing out for the last few years. What are you uh, working on now? Are you are you putting together anything? I know UFO Mystic has uh, gone the way of the of the dodo, so yeah, it's just not there. What I want to do is get some of that stuff and just publish it because it's not online anymore, which is good because people can't access it now. I mean, it's good for a book, right? Because right. then people can access, it. and then you know, write some other stuff for. Because I really I. I made the mistake of really pouring a lot of heart and soul thought and research into that site. Um, you don't have that well, stuff saved, like, on your computer anywhere? I have some of it. Yeah. I started collecting it. You know, it's like, oh, this is going to go down today, so I started collecting it. It's not gone. I mean, the, the guy that owns the site still has it. Right, right. He still has all the data. I just like him to send it to me. Um, but, you know, that would be interesting to do. I've got a quasi um uh project with uh, Adam Go Rightly that we're we're kind of kicking back and forth. And um I don't know past that. I was gonna try and write a book on like different UFO theories. Now that's you know, like a Hanks has done it. Paul did it with his book with the uh, other side of truth. Yeah. So I don't feel like I have anything really to add because they said all the stuff that I pretty much said all the stuff I wanted to say. I said it would just be like, you know, an addendum to everything those guys have said and Mac has said and in his book, et cetera. So you're working on that stuff, so and and obviously Radio Mysterioso. Yeah, that'll keep going. I'm I don't go out and like voraciously look for guests right now. It's gonna I think it'll be more like one, when I want to talk to people that listen to the show, they'll, they'll be college shows. Two when I want to talk to people that are I basically know pretty well and we just have more stuff to hash hash out, talk about, have fun with, like I did with Grow Rightly last week. Yeah. Or Bob Emmenegger coming up. Then once in a while there'll be like somebody I've really wanted for a long time, like Dean Raiden. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and the, you know, I'd like to have Whitley Streber on. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I'd like to have Art Bell on. That probably will never happen. You know. Uh I want to have Lauren Coleman on. That probably will happen. Nice. Uh, Rob Sterling from The Conformist is going to be on in a couple of weeks. Bob Emmenegger is coming back. Uh, there's a there's a very good chance that Ken Thomas will be in town. And I have him on at the end of the month, the last Sunday of the month. So yeah, it's 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 still going. It's a viable thing, and I want to keep doing it. Uh, it's just that I it's not the center of my life. It's just a really strong interest now, where it used to be the center of my life. Now it's just a really strong interest I'd like to keep going. It could move back to the center of my life. I don't know. I don't want it out of my life. It still makes me happy. Right. It sounds like we're in similar places. I mean, I enjoy doing yeah. the program, but I have a life. And, yeah, you know, I already, I already blew through my 20s. So I don't want, I don't want to look back when I'm like 39 and be like, shit, 
I really could should have could have done more, you know, with yeah, my well, life. Yeah, I didn't even start the magazine until I was thirty. See, you enjoyed your twenties then, so you didn't blow through it, you know. <laughs> well, I try to put out a weekly. I enjoyed show. my thir- Well, really, I enjoyed my thirties a lot more than I enjoyed my twenties. My twenties, I was just miserable. That's probably self-imposed yeah. misery for the entire. And then when I got into my thirties, I had a life-changing thing. I realized. Hey, I can either kill myself or I can decide to do do stuff that makes me happy and makes life fun. So I decided to use that script, and that one's worked since then. There you go. I think that may be the perfect uh, <laughs> yeah. way to close out this uh, this this wrap up. Um, you know, the only other thing is traditionally we do or I do sort of the uh, the the what's hot, what's not here at the end of the year, and I'll just do that quickly. I didn't write them down or anything, but. I feel like ghost hunting, definitely the, the bloom, bloom is off the rose though. I think it's starting to fade out a little bit. I don't yeah, see as yeah, much about it. Starting to go. So a, lot, a couple of people have pointed out to me ancient aliens, the whole, not just the TV show, but the whole sort of, sort of, yeah. uh, ancient astronaut things got a little bit of momentum behind it. Mostly due yeah, to the does, show. Really? It seems to be yeah. that way, yeah. Yeah, and maybe sort of alternative, let's, let's, let's frame that actually as alternative ufology. So alternative okay. ufology sort of uh, picking up steam. Bigfoot, big time. I'd say that's the hottest yeah, that's, thing that's, going right now. Yeah, I think you're right. And yeah, uh, big, Bigfoot and um, and I think with these uh, with these shootings this year, I think uh, we're going to see a, an uptick in conspiracy in in 2013. Yeah, there's a lot of people talking about the gun control, the, the shootings where they orchestrated. It's it's got a lot of. Uh, it's got a lot of momentum behind it, unfortunately. Legs, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, you know. You're right. Yeah. I think conspiracy, uh, and we got the JFK 50th coming up in November. So I think it's going to be a big year for conspiracy. I think it's going to be a big year for Bigfoot. Alternative ufology will be a big year. Classic ufology, no. Disclosure exopolitics, no. Ghost hunting and ghost stuff, no. That's my, that's my yeah. what's hot, what's not for 2013. I don't have any argument with that, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because we're right maybe, at the very maybe, end. So, yeah, and maybe um, paranormal topics as the year progresses, and maybe in the next year, depending on what happens. And you know, sort of like fringy paranormal stuff. Yeah, no, more like you know, I just saw a report like you know, women who controls robotic arms psychically. Well, it's not really psychic; it's just mapping her brain and what it does, which is imagining moving her arm. Right. But I think there'll be more of that. Like, I'll be able, people will be able to do things by thinking about it, just because of the way the brain lights up when you want to do certain things in your, you know, whatever area the brain lights up when you want to move your arm or or drive a car or whatever the hell. Exactly. That yeah. Thing, that will. That kind of stuff is gonna in the next few years is gonna be big. I agree with that as well. So that's what people should be or could be or can be looking forward to in 2013, uh, 2012. As I said on my Facebook wall, you know, goodbye and good riddance. <laughs> we are finally free of the albatross that is 2012, and uh, you know, a whole cottage industry has has gone has gone uh, gone away. So that's yeah. an interesting thank development. Thank God or thank. Thank uh, Zooey Cook or whatever Mayan deity you want to yeah. thank. Yeah, Quetzalcoatl or something. <laughs> yes, thank you to him for, yeah. for wrapping up the, 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 the 2012 <laughs> foolishness. So on that note, uh, you know, thank you very much for coming back on the show, Greg. We'll have you back, obviously, for the baseball special. And 
We'll we'll definitely have to do uh, another jam session maybe uh, maybe this summer where we we don't have to deal with a lot of this uh, annual stuff. I always enjoy it, and I'm always surprisingly you you find this surprising. I'm always surprised that I'm coming back on to talk with you because I really enjoy it, and I always think, oh well, I'm not relevant anymore. So, oh wait, he's calling me again. This is great. <laughs> now you'll always be relevant with me, and I'm not just kissing your ass here. Uh, you know, you've been on the most of anybody on the show, and even when I was just some little punk clown writing on the internet, just dropped your name, and it was you know. We've been friends ever since, so, you know, and a lot of people probably can assume this. Greg is the recipient of many a drunken and sober phone call from me to touch base and, and sort of uh, have these conversations without an audience. So I appreciate well, your Well, you can friendship. tell that I'm never bored because we always talk for at least an hour or more. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I know you got to get to work. So thank you very much for coming yeah. back on the show, Greg, and uh, looking forward to doing it again in the future. Thanks very much, Tim. Talk to you soon. That does it for our 2012 Year in Review edition of the program. Big, big thanks to Greg Bishop for returning to the show. Be sure to tune in to his fantastic podcast, Radio Mysterioso, which you can find at www.radiomysterioso.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback. And we have a slew of letters from the VOA Audio listeners, especially since we skipped listener feedback the last two installments of the program. So let's dig on in. The first one comes from Stephen B. on Facebook, who had a very hilarious response to my posting that I was about to tape the Year in Review episode with Greg Bishop. Here's what Stephen has to say. These episodes are a guilty pleasure of mine. With that said, if this interview is anything like the last few years, I would imagine we will be hearing Bishop ranting about how lame UFO research is becoming, how there are no more good UFO cases, and how the whole endeavor is a waste of time. Tim will agree and say yeah, over and over. Then they will end by promoting their UFO-centric radio shows. Or they will spend an ungodly amount of time highlighting all the non-UFO guests that they had on their programs this year as a way of convincing each other that they are gravitating away from the topic and should no longer be associated with UFOs. I say screw it. We need a season of nothing but UFO crazies. Invite Dan Burrish, Robert O'Dean, the people from Project Camelot, and John Lear for a roundtable discussion. I think that is probably the first ever listener feedback that I received prior to the recording of the show. And having listened to the Year in Review episode, it's frighteningly accurate as to uh, how the whole conversation went down. Although, I noted to Stephen that this year's installment was not as dire as previous years, I don't think. And if you look back at BOA Audio the last few seasons, I've definitely moved away from the topic of UFOs. And we even tried to kind of label this year's Year in Review program as just a straight year in review or a paranormal year in review, since we really didn't talk as much about UFOs as we normally do. But really, at the end of the day, Stephen pretty much nailed the tenor of our year-in-review programs, although I like to think we change it up every so often and evolve a little bit every year. 
Thank you for giving me a good chuckle, Stephen, and thank you for your feedback on the program. Hopefully, we satisfied your guilty pleasure desires once again as we closed out 2012. Next email comes from Justin, no hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. I've been following your podcast for the past couple of years and greatly enjoy you and your guests. I want to compliment you on recent improvements you've made, consciously or not, to your interviewing technique. Over the past few podcasts, you have decreased doing two things that I believe you used as ways to agree, encourage, or interact with your guests. What I am saying is, you are using the term right, right, much less, as well as an over-enthusiastic laugh. As someone who does a lot of presenting in my career, I know how easy it is to pick up bad habits, and how hard it can be to shake them, so I commend you. All the best in the new year, and looking forward to hearing what you have in store. Justin. Thank you for writing in, Justin. I appreciate your kind words about the program. And I'll be honest with you, I noticed the habit of saying right, right, that I've picked up over the last few years. And while I do try to stop saying it as much as possible, I'll be honest and let you know that I do often cut it out of the program in the post-show editing. So I am still sometimes saying it, you're just not hearing it since it's cut out when I edit the show. And really... Ironically enough, the right-right habit comes from the original habit, which drew the ire of many BOA Audio listeners, and that was the yeah-yeah habit, where I would say yeah-yeah. So I replaced yeah-yeah with right-right, and I guess you can look forward to some other new bad habit emerging here in 2013. Although, as I pointed out way back when we were discussing the whole yeah-yeah controversy on the program way in the past. It's really just sort of my way of, as you note, encouraging the guest, interacting a little bit. I don't want to interrupt them. I want to let them know that I'm still listening. Some guests, they get a little perturbed. They get a little taken aback sometimes by the BOA style, since they're not immediately interrupted by the host as soon as they finish making a point or right in the middle of their point. It's kind of my way of letting them know, yes, I'm listening, I'm here, and I want to hear more of what you have to say, which I think is really the attitude of the BOA Audio listeners as well. Although, having listened to the programs numerous times when I edit them and then when I put them out for the BOA Audio listeners, I've definitely noticed the right-right trend and will be definitely more conscious of it going forward. With regards to the over-enthusiastic laugh, I can honestly say that I really genuinely am laughing. There's really never any times when I'm doing a fake laugh on the program. I'm not someone who does fake laughs. So if that was your suspicion, I can dispel that pretty easily by letting you know what when you hear me laugh on the program, I am actually laughing. My attitude about the laugh is, and I've said this to friends and on other programs, my goal really is to get a laugh going in the first few moments of the program, in the opening dialogue, if you will. If I can get the guests to relax, laugh, lighten up, that brings out some tremendous material from them because they know that they're talking to someone who's on their side. They're not going to be set up into some kind of gotcha situation. I think that really is what brings out a lot of great material 
So that's sort of a little look behind the scenes at the program, thanks to this email here from Justin. Thank you, my friend, for writing in. Next email comes from Jeff in New York City. He asks, any chance you could get Bix Weir on the show again? Things feel like they are getting sort of wonky in the financial world, and it would be interesting to hear from him again. Jeff in New York City. It's always possible that we'll get Bix Weir back on the show. I'm certain we'll have him on again in the future. But right now, we just put out a ton of programs with previous BOA Audio guests. We've still got two more programs with previous BOA Audio guests still to get out to the listeners. So chances are the first-time guests, the fresh guests, will not be appearing until February And I really want to focus on bringing in some new names and some new researchers following the next two editions of the show. So, beyond just Bix Weir, this isn't a judgment on Bix, this is just a a format issue, if you will. Returning guests likely will not be showing up on the program until later on in the spring, perhaps, or even when we kick off Season 8. So it's going to be quite a ways away before I start bringing back some of our previous guests beyond the next two programs, because I've got a huge list of guests that I want to talk to that have never been on the program before. I'm scheduling those programs as I speak. So that's kind of the direction that we're heading in here as 2013 begins. Once again, another peek behind the curtain here courtesy of this emailer, Jeff, in New York City. Of course, folks should check out the Bix Weir edition of the program from a few years ago and check out Bix Weir's website as well for more information on him. Maybe we'll do a financial edition of the program, but with a different first-time guest. That's definitely a possibility and one you should keep an eye out for. It's a shame that Aaron Russo has passed away because I think a taxes edition of the program would be fascinating. So maybe I'll look into that for a future installment of the show. We got more here, folks. We got a posting from Montine on the BOA Facebook page, which you can find at Banal of America on Facebook. Just punch in BOA Banal of America. That will bring up the Facebook page. She posts, I have never heard of death education classes until your chat with William Zabel who seems to have dropped off the radar screen yet again, so I searched it and found an interesting link. Actually, there are tons of links, but this one has to do directly with a student from Columbine back in 1985, Montine. And just to be clear, Montine posted a link here that says Death Education at Columbine High, and the URL is RiddlinDeath.com. So maybe you have to search out Columbine there on RiddlinDeath.com. But that's an example, I guess you could say, of the postings from the BOA Audio listeners on the BOA Facebook page. As far as William Zabel goes, I have not spoken with William Zabel, but I'm pretty sure he's still on Facebook. He's still pretty active. He has not gone missing or incommunicado, so I'm not positive really what Montine is talking about. Maybe I'll look further into this in the next few days, but I'm pretty sure William Zabel is still around, and really, 
Just wanted to highlight the Banal of America Facebook page and mention that there are some great posts there from the BOA Audio listeners with cool stories. On December 21st, Kirk posted the top five lesser-known failed apocalypses, and Joe posted a photo on December 23rd that says, Myery Christmas, with a picture of Billy Meyer, and a Happy New Greer, with a picture of Stephen Greer. So this. Some laughs, there's some cool posts, there's some interesting articles linked up by the BOA listeners on the Banal of America Facebook page. So it is not just a promotional vehicle for me, it is also a place for BOA listeners to share cool stuff as well. And the final bit here of BOA audio listener feedback is a long-term plug, because I was contacted by Pat Daniels co-host of The Fringe Radio Show on KTKK AM 630. And he has invited me on to his program to discuss BOA and the world of the paranormal. And in a development that really kind of made me feel like I am way behind the ball here, he has scheduled me for an appearance on March 13th, 2013. So... Over two months away. That's why I said it's a long-term plug. But as far as I know, I am free. I have confirmed the date. And more information will be forthcoming in the future. But I wanted to let you know that I will be on the Fringe Radio Show on KTKK AM 630 on March 13th, 2013. You can find out more from Pat Daniels at thefringeradioshow.com, and I will be plugging it again as we get closer to March 13th. Unbelievable. I don't know how he can do that. Schedule so far in advance. Makes me feel like I'm dropping the ball here on BOA Audio, but I'm doing the best I can, folks, and I will be appearing on the Fringe Radio Show 3-13-13, so tune in. And with that said, we will wrap up BOA Audio Listener Feedback here this week. Big thanks to Stephen B., Justin, Jeff, Montine, and Pat Daniels for their correspondences here on the program. If you'd like to be a part of future installments of BOA Audio Listener Feedback, there are a number of ways to do so. You can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com. Or head on over to banalofamerica.com, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, ofamerica.com, and click the contact button. If you want something a little more interactive, you can join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. It is BOA's paranormal playground, the US of E. Additionally, I am on Facebook and Twitter, so just punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L. That will bring you to my respective pages on those social network sites. And finally, please allow me to plug the Benal of America Facebook page. We've stalled out here at 867. We want to get over the hump. We want to get to 1,000, and we need the BOA listeners to like us on Facebook in order to reach the mythical and meaningless 1,000 likes. Head on over to Facebook, punch in Banal of America. There you will find news on the program. You will find contests 
here in 2013. We just launched the BOA Death Pool. So if you have a gallows sense of humor, you may like that. And there's tons of postings from BOA listeners as well. Been all of America on Facebook. Check it out and like us. So those are the means to get in touch with me to appear on future installments of BOA Audio listener feedback. Up next, please allow me to pause and thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff. Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. Not too much to plug here since between the last program and this edition of the show was the holiday season and the BOA staff was off enjoying the holidays with their families. But we've got lots of cool stuff lined up for you in the weeks and months to come here at Benal of America. I am going to make it a serious goal to revamp the website and really develop a whole bunch of new features for the BOA visitors. I've kind of let Benal of America, the website, slip a little bit as I focused more on the program and my off-site jobs. But now, here in 2013, I really want to make it a key feature and aspect of the program. So stay tuned to Benal of America and make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric insights and opinions. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around to the BOA Audio listeners and ask you to make a donation to Banal of America. How do you do that? That's simple. You can head on over to BOA and click the PayPal button. That'll take you to PayPal. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe, simple, and secure. But if you don't trust the internet and you want to make a donation via snail mail, you can do so as well. Simply send your donation or correspondence to Tim Banal, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass. 01866, and you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T. The complete address can be found at Banal of America, right under the PayPal button. And, as always, it bears repeating, my friends, no donation is too small, and all donations go towards Banal of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available, and commercial-free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of the program, we are welcoming back Extreme Explorer Adam Davies for his annual update on his expeditions of the past year. In 2012, Adam Davies not only journeyed back to Sumatra in search of the Orang Pendek, but he also traveled here to the United States to look for Bigfoot. Both adventures garnered a wealth of tremendous information and really shook up the cryptozoology world in a number of ways. The trip to America created a firestorm in the world of cryptozoology because there was some very interesting footage captured on a trail cam while Adam Davies and his crew was sleeping. 
it created just a huge brouhaha in Bigfoot research, which was only really overshadowed by the Melba Ketchum DNA story that came out about a month later. For a while, everybody was talking about this trail cam footage. I kind of wanted to get Adam on back then, but then I said, let's just wait till this thing settles down, and we'll talk about it in January. So we're going to hear all about that, and we're going to hear about Adam's return to Sumatra, where, and I have not got this confirmed. We're going to have to look deeper into this, obviously, before I sit down to talk to Adam, but I am pretty sure he has finally now seen the Orang Pendek. So that is a very good possibility that it happened in 2012, and if so, it is a landmark moment for him personally and for Orang Pendek research. We'll find out whether he saw the Orang Pendek. We'll also find out what new insights he may have gleaned from this return to Sumatra. My conversations with Adam Davies are always super loose, and the kind of conversations that you would really here if Adam and I were just sitting down having a beer. So that's going to be on the next edition of the program. I'll be taping that one in a couple of days, so I can't really give you much more of a preview beyond that. Except to say that I'm going to really try and buckle down and get it out to you as soon as possible, because we're developing now a backlog of programs that need to get out to the VOA Audio listeners. We've still got this epic Paul Kimball edition of the show, and we've got two episodes with new guests that are sitting in the can and have yet to be rolled out to the BOA Audio listeners, plus a whole bunch more that have been scheduled. So we've got tons of stuff for you folks. Next time on the program, though, it is Adam Davies talking about the extreme expeditions of 2012. And with all that said... Once again, I want to wish you all a very happy new year. Thank you for your support of BOA Audio in 2012. 2013 is going to be amazing, my friends. Stay tuned for some awesome, awesome stuff from Benal of America. Big, big thanks once again to Greg Bishop. Big thanks to all of the listeners who contributed to BOA Audio listener feedback. And, of course, enormous thanks to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA audio listeners, thank you so much for your support of the program, and thank you once again for making BOA audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening, and signing off.